0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وأتم الحج والعمرة لله فإن أحصرتم فما سيسر من الهدي ولا تحنقوا رؤوسكم حتى يبلغ الهدي محله فمن كان منكم مريضا أو به أذى من رأسه ففديه من صيام أو صدقة أو نسك فإذا أمنتم فمن تمتع بالعمرة إلى الحج فما استنسر من الهديد رب اشرح لي صدري لي امري من لساني قولي فالحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله now we're going to be dealing with the ayat that have to do with the the ahkam of hajj and it's a good time for me to to let you know some of the policy matters as far as me personally in dealing with the ayat of ahkam the ayat that have very particular rulings sharia rulings in them it is my conviction that you know, Fiqh and Sharia should be talked about by people that are the Ahl, the people qualified of that area. And it is also by conviction that people that know, that have a casual knowledge, an informal knowledge of that particular area of Islamic studies, Sharia law, Fiqh, etc., should keep their mouth shut. Even when people ask them stuff, they shouldn't say anything, they should say refer to a scholar. Um, because, you know, a little bit of knowledge in this area and you might even have the right opinion or whatever, a legitimate opinion, but very quickly it becomes the only right opinion, and then you land yourself into a lot of trouble, because people a lot more knowledgeable than you and I, uh, see things differently, and see, things, see, see it more gray, and we start seeing it black and white. And it creates a lot of problems in our understanding of the religion, because people who really aren't qualified to be ambassadors and representatives of Islamic law, think that they are. And as da'is at least, I have no shame in saying, I'm not, I'm not a scholar, I'm, any, I'm nowhere near a scholar. And, you know, they gave me at this convention I went to, they gave me the label S-H, Norma Khan, right? So I crossed the S-H out and wrote, not a sheikh, Norma <laughs> Ali Right, because it's just, it's, uh, anybody who knows a little bit more than you, in whatever area, automatically a sheikh. It's problematic, it's, that's not supposed to be our attitude. Now, we have to go through the ayat of ahkam and I will talk about them briefly. But that does not mean that you should take what I'm saying as the fatwa on these issues. If you have questions about hajj, questions about divorce, questions about inheritance law, then these lectures are definitely not going to suffice in your understanding of them. We're going through them because they're part of the text. But that's why I've actually asked asked Imam Diyah and eventually also Sheikh Abdul Nasir to help contribute in the ayat of ahkam. So one of these weeks, inshallah, I'll be taking time off and he'll be coming in, Imam Diyah will be the first to come in and actually dedicate a day to divorce law and inheritance law and overview. J- even though we'll have gone through the ayat, it's good to go through them with someone who actually knows the fiqh and the, in, in a formal way. So, and maybe some, get some of your questions answered and stuff and then move on, inshallah ta'ala. So that will be our approach in this area. And that's also my advice to da'is. Don't make fiqh the subject of da'wah. It's not. So it's a legal subject. It's best handled by those who are knowledgeable in the areas of law. And the same goes for things, labels of you know bid'ah and sunnah and things like that. Like just because you think something's a bid'ah, wait, just hold on a second. You know, if a scholar has a right to say that, but you and I shouldn't just go around just labeling stuff and like it's it's problematic because you start over, overstepping your qualifications very very quickly, and it, it leads to a very unhealthy environment in the community. When people are labeling things too very easily, okay, and where scholars are silent on issues and we're really loud on them, it's it's a very good sign of ignorance. Uh, anyhow, may Allah protect us from ignorance. Wa Wal and complete the Hajj and the Umrah for the sake of Allah. In other words, once you leave for Hajj and Umrah, you better complete it. You should do so. You should have the spirit of completing it. And by the way, for them completing Hajj and Umrah, it doesn't just mean buying a plane ticket, making the hotel reservations, making the right group reservations, sending your passport in on time. For them, it was like, I'm going to Hajj this year, which means, and it's in nine months, I'm leaving now. Because I'm walking the Hajj from Iraq. Or, you know, like, it's it was a life journey for them. And they who knows if they're really going make it back or not, you know. So, uh, there's an interesting story. I think it's Imam Shafi'i who was traveling somewhere and he saw this, uh, this impaired man, didn't have any legs. And he was dragging himself. And he asked him, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to Hajj. And he's like, Hajj, that's like... For me, it's a, a few months of a journey. How are you going to Hajj? How long have you been traveling? He goes, two years. And he says, you don't even have to go. And it's too far for you. It's not even mandatory on you because you have a limitation. So he said some he, he said some poetry. I'll tell you one piece of the poetry. He said in response, he says, "Amal Then, as as for the distance is concerned, my passion for Hajj will make it closer. That distance, my, my my passion, my love for it will make it closer. Subhanallah. <laughs> you know. So Allah says here, yeah, have the spirit of completing it. Atimul wal And if you do get surrounded, meaning surrounded by enemy forces. Obviously, in this case, the high likelihood of being surrounded is by the Qurayshi tribes, the Ahl Makkah, who are kuffar, who don't want Muslims anywhere near them. If you get surrounded, فَمَسْتَيْسَرًا مِنَ Hadi, Then, whatever you may be able to sacrifice, from the, whatever may be easy to sacrifice. In other words, Muslims will try to go make Hajj, the Meccans will stop them at the worst. Now, the Meccans won't kill them, hopefully, because even they respect the sacred months and they don't fight in them. But they'll say you can't enter, you can't do Hajj. If you're not allowed to do Hajj and you get surrounded, then the animal that you were supposed to sacrifice eventually, just whatever easily you can find, go ahead and slaughter that. And do not cut your hair, shave your heads, etc. حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الهدي Until the hadi, the animal to be sacrificed, has reached its place of sacrifice. In other words, it's supposed to be inside Mecca that you sacrifice the animal. So when you dedicate that animal, you make an educated assumption, okay, it must have reached it by this time, now we can shave our heads. This should happen if you're not allowed to make Hajj. If you get surrounded. And whoever among you had been sick, أَوْ بِهِ Or had some kind of injury in his head. Adhan just doesn't mean headache, by the way. adhan means pain, right? But here it means like, like bleeding kind of injury, serious injury. You can't say oh, I was going to Hajj, but on the way I had serious migra- a migraine, and they didn't have extra strength Tylenol, and therefore I have turned back and I've slaughtered, you know, an animal. And you know that's not that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a serious head injury, okay? And so you've got a head injury, and to treat the wound you have to shave early. You have to shave early because you know otherwise the the physician or doctor can't get to the wound. So you shaved your head before you should have. Then there's no problem. So he says. See, and he did have to shave it that way early, then the compensation for that will be, out of fast, these are supposed to be three days of fasting by the way, or the sacrifice of an animal, the sacrifice of an animal later on, and this charity is supposed to be, three days of fasting will compensate, and feeding six people from most fuqaha's point of view, will compensate. And then if you reach the place of safety, in other words you're not, no longer in uh Surrounded, and maybe you went to Hajj and there was no problems. You were safe when you went. Then what should you do? Then whoever enjoys, to enjoy something, whoever enjoys Umrah in addition to Hajj. What this means is, you know, before Islam came, Hajj was already there. And the Hajj, I told you how many months did they have? They have four months. These were three months of Hajj. And Rajab was the month of Umrah. And for the Arabs, it was haram, before Islam, it was haram, it was forbidden, for you to do Umrah and Hajj in the same trip. It was disrespectful, because Umrah has its own month, the month of Rajab. You don't do that otherwise. But Islam came, and Islam, Allah says, you can enjoy Umrah even when you come to do Hajj. Now, think of the mentality here. Our mentality is, I'm already tired enough to do Hajj. I'm gonna do Umrah on top of that, I'm gonna go extra. That's like me doing extra for Islam. Allah says, actually, no, this is me giving you the gift of you being able to do Umrah in addition. You're not doing something extra. I'm giving you an extra opportunity. He turns our attitudes the other way around. And that's how the original Arab said, you get to do Umrah with your Hajj. Because you didn't get to do it before, it was forbidden before. فَمَن تَمَتَّعَ بِالْعُمْرَةِ إِلَى الْحَجِ Whoever enjoys their Umrah with their Hajj, there are three, you know, three kinds of Hajj you'll read about in Fiqh. Tamattu' Hajj, تَمَتُعْ Hajj qiran and Hajj ifrad Hajj Tamattu' is when you have two ihrams. In other words, you go, you put your ihram on and you make Umrah. Then you take your ihram off, come back to the Miqat, and go back, put another ihram on, and go to Hajj. In other words, you have time off in between, but you've already left your. It's not like you went home since going from Umrah. You went for Umrah, had some time off, then went to Hajj, and in between you didn't have ihram on. That would be Hajj Tamattu'. Then there's Hajj Kiran. Hajj Kiran is when you have the same ihram and you go make Umrah. And with the same Ihram, without taking it off, you go make Hajj also, this is Hajj Qiran. And if you made, put uh, your Ihram on only for the sake of doing uh, uh, the Hajj, no Umrah with it, this is Hajj Ifrah, the singular Hajj, the Hajj that is exclusive, okay? So in this ayah, Allah give us the opportunity to join the Hajj and the Umrah together. But if you do so, because this is an extra gift from Allah, then this should be from and whatever easy it is for you to find from a sacrificial animal, you should sacrifice an animal. So there's two kinds of sacrifice now. A sacrifice of expiation, I fell short of my expectations, I got injured and I had to shave my head early. So I sacrificed an animal to compensate for the shortcoming. On this time, Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, for example, causes al shukr. In other words, you're thanking Allah for giving you the opportunity to make Umrah. And as a show of your thanks, you're sacrificing an animal. Okay? yajid, And whoever didn't find, meaning whoever didn't find a sacrificial animal, أيام, Then they should fast for three days. الحجي, in the During the Hajj. This is the seventh, eighth, and ninth of the Hajj. That they should be fasting. وَالسَّبْعَةٍ rajatum And you should fast another ten days, or seven days when you come back. That way there will be 10 days that you made up your, uh, made it up for. So what did you make up for? The extra Umrah that you did? You should sacrifice an animal or make up 10 fasts, 3 in the Hajj time. Obviously you can't do the 10th of the Hijjah, why not? That's Eid. That's Eid, you can't fast on Eid day. So 7, 8 and 9 and then set the other 7 when you come back. ذَلِكَ Kaliman, All of these policies and these, these alleviances, these, these provisions, uh, and these courtesies are for those who, لَمْ يَكُنْ أَهْلُهُ حَاضِرِ al الْحَرَامِ Those who don't have any, or didn't have any family, any, any relations in the proximity of Al-Mashri Al-Haram, right by Al-Mashri Al-Haram, meaning is this is not for the locals that they get to combine. Locals have to show some respect and go out of their way and make Umrah and make Hajj. These additional provisions are for those who are not locals of Mecca. Okay? وَاتَّقُوا wa'lamu وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَا and have taqwa of Allah, be cautious of Allah. And you had better know that Allah is severe in taking revenge. عِقَاب is like intiqam. Intiqam means revenge, and Iqab also means revenge. But عِقَاب is unique because aqab means a bad outcome for a bad deed. And Allah is saying here, you better respect the rituals of Hajj very precisely because otherwise you won't just anger me, you'll anger me to the point where I will take vengeance. It will be a serious violation. Now understand, when Allah says that, about the Hajj and these precise rulings of Hajj, that Allah has really, really high expectations of how precisely Hajj should be offered. And what what allowances are there, and how the allowances should be taken into consideration and, and shown respect. Imagine the kind of anger Allah has at those who put idols at the house of Allah. These are people that are Muslims that are trying to do Hajj in the right way and they fall short, Allah will get very angry at them. What about the people who are doing shirk in Allah's house?
1: What kind of rage will Allah have against them? This makes you realize the value Allah has for His sacred house. Al-Hajj <laughs> is known months. What this does is it validates
0: what the Arabs had believed all along the sacred months of the Hajj. Like there were some months, in which they would put the ihram and make the qasd, make the intention that they're going to Hajj. Those are called the sacred months. It's not like Hajj is done in multiple months. Hajj is done on a very particular time. But the intention for the Hajj and the journey of the Hajj begins way before then. So Allah says, taking that into consideration. That those are known months. Everybody knows about them. And those are in fact valid. That's coming from the tradition of Ibrahim A.S. It's not made up just by the Arabs. Then whoever uh, whoever uh, mandates on himself that they're going to do hajj, فَلَا وَلَا فُسُوكَ وَلَا jidala فِي الْحَجِ Then there's absolutely no intercourse, there's absolutely no corruption, and there's absolutely no debating, arguing, and, and uh, you know back and forth at all, whatsoever during the hajj. It's all لَا نافية Meaning, the, the فَلَا is, like, is as though you're an i'tikaf. Then, you know, fusuq, stealing, backbiting, complaining, did not arguing with people. Allah mentions this because it's a huge crowd. Obviously, people will get on your nerves. You're going to be, you're going to get pushed around a lot. You're going to get in line and people are cut in front of you. People, all kinds of stuff will happen that will test your patience. So Allah says, I know that already. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot engage in any of these things while you are in hajj. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ And whatever good that you do do, يَعْلَمُهُ Allah will know about it. And this min any good at all, any good at all here also means any evil you leave. Anytime you had the urge to argue and you held, held back, there's also a khayr you did. Allah knows about that. Allah knows every time somebody stole, stole your slippers. Allah knows about that. That you had to walk barefoot you know, barefoot instead of just engaging in more fusuq and saying, well somebody stole mine, I'm gonna steal theirs. Instead of that, you went through difficulty, Allah knows about that. Right? Allah knows about when you stood in line and people said obnoxious things to you or whatever and you just stayed quiet you remained patient Allah knows about that وَلَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ and then there are those who go to hajj and they go in a group and uh, they want to make sure that everybody knows the good deeds that they're doing so Imam I'm just going to go make some extra you know because uh, you know I really want to do some ibadah right now okay so inshallah I'll be making lots of dua I'll be back in about 40 minutes because usually I pray very long You know what? Don't tell anyone. Just whatever you do, Allah knows it. You don't have to make sure anybody else knows it. You know? Don't stand, don't go around talking to people about, yo, you you know, subhanallah, last night I recited so much Qur'an. It was so awesome. Yeah, Allah knows. Nobody else needs to know. You know? If you do something for dunya, share it with people. When you do something for Allah, just keep it between you and Allah. It's It's special between you and Allah. You don't have to go around sharing it with people. You know? وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمُهُ اللَّهِ وَتَزَوَّدُوا And pack well. Zaada means increase. Zaada Yazidu. From that we get Zaud Or زَاد. زَاد in Arabic means packing more than necessary. You have essentials you have to pack. Like you're going on a trip, you say, how much food am I going to need? Okay, I'll just take this much. this I'll take eight dollars with me on my trip to Houston. Right? Just enough to get me there without, at an empty tank. Zaba means you pack a little extra. You take a little extra cash. You take precautionary provisions with you because it, emergency funds and that sort of thing. Have backup. What does Zawwa do? Pack well. taqwa. And know that certainly the best provision, the best pack, thing you can pack with you is taqwa. Be cautious of Allah. That make sure you take with you. You know in the middle of all the packing and all the preparations and all the nitty gritty and all the airport lines and all that stuff and hotel bookings and this and that. You can forget why you went. You can lose track of what you want. So Allah says the best thing you should pack with you and keep with you all the time, like you keep your passport with you all the time, make sure you keep your taqwa with you all the time. This taqwa here, this ayah means another thing also. Taqwa means literally to protect yourself. And Allah is saying here also pack well because you will protect yourself from getting yourself into a lot of trouble in this journey if you're not well equipped. If you don't take enough money with you, you'll end up begging over there. Don't put yourself in that position. Pack properly. Protect yourself. It's better for you that way. فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى وَاتَّقُونِيَ and above and beyond all, be cautious of me. Ya ulil albab, people of pure minds. It's so awesome that Allah mentions Ya ulil albab here, of all places. People of pure minds. Why? Because you're at Hajj. There should be nothing distracting you. You can finally have a pure mind. You can think about nothing else but Allah and your your destination. You know, if there's one thing that the Hajj does, it makes you forget about dunya. You should worry about akhirah. Why? Because you're wearing the clothes of your death and you're simulating Judgment Day. You're standing in front of Allah in huge crowds begging Him for forgiveness. That's a simulation of Judgment Day. And on Judgment Day, where will we, we be gathered? All human beings. In the field of Arafah, right? We're going to be gathered there. So it's incredible that we, we go through this simulation exercise of Judgment Day. It should cleanse you of all distracting thoughts. You should become people of Lubb. People of clean, clear, precise thought. Inshallah, we'll have a long discussion on Ulul Bab when we get to Ali Imran. It's a very
1: deep subject. Allah drops hints here in Baqarah, and he deals with the subject in detail in Ali Imran. There is no harm on you that you might pursue some favor
0: from your master also. In other words, you're going from Pakistan, Bangladesh, United States, Canada, Australia. You're going from all over the world to make Hajj. You're going from Misr to make Hajj. And you got something to sell. You got some business to do. Makkah is also a, a, a colossal marketplace. There's no harm on you at all that you go make some money there too. It's okay. You can go there for hajj for, 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 your, uh, for your deen, but also when it's done or you know, after it's finished, you can also do some business there also. You can make some you know, business deals, transactions also. There's no harm in it for you. فَإِذَا أَفَضْدٌ min You know, Afada yufidu is translated as when you return from Arafat. Those of you who are following along in translations, it says when you return from Arafat. That's رَجَعَ in Arabic. رَجَعَ means to return. Afada, the original phrase is Fa'dal Ma'u. Fa'dal Ma'u means you know you have water that you're pouring into a kettle or a pot and you pour too much of it and it spills out. That's Fa'dal Ma'u, water spilled out. Afada, they say Afada مِنَ ana'i or Afada an inaa He overfilled the kettle. Allah is describing the huge population of people that will spill over from a min Arafat. You will spill over from Arafat. Like liquid pouring. You know who has that view? You see that aerial view of people? Like something being poured? Like people are being poured. That's the image Allah describes because He's watching from above. SubhanAllah. (laughs) It also means quickly move. To move quick like water moves quickly, so move quickly. Then when you move quickly from Arafat, you know, the Yawm the al-Arafah, they say al Hajjul arafah right? The, the essence of the Hajj is Yawm al-Arafah. Everything else in Hajj you can make up for. Arafah you cannot make up for. You have to have to make that day of Arafah. So what happens is on the 8th, people start leaving towards Arafah. In the morning, people start leaving, these caravans start leaving, and they try to get there by Lohar time, before Lohar time. And right before you get to Arafah, you're supposed to make your Dhuhr and Asr together. You're not supposed to pray in Arafah itself. So there's a masjid that's right next to Arafat where you can stop in mulhiq bil arafah you pray you combine your two prayers there the adhan and then you enter arafah and you spend the day there and allah says fakurullaha اللَّهَ mash'ar al haram wadhkuruhu kama hadakum remember allah by the the sacred al mash'ar al haram here meaning muzdalifa the the, the the sacred place that makes you have strong feeling al mash'ar something that brings about feelings that's muzdalifa وَذْكُرُوهُ kama hadakum remember him like he guided you Means actually also that you shouldn't be making regular salat. Even even in Arafat, we don't make Maghrib there. We eventually go and join it once we get to Muzdalifah. Wa in kuntumin and even even though much before this, you were from the wrong, from the from those who did had no idea. In other words, you had no idea how to pray to Allah, where to pray, what, where to stop, how long to stop. You didn't know these rituals. You were completely lost. Now I'm guiding you how to conduct this this uh, journey. Then By the way, in, the, in Arafah, you're supposed to make all kinds of zikr to Allah except the regular forms of dhikr. In other words, not salah. Recite Quran, make dua, you know, just find some other way of remembering Allah. And you're sitting there, like, the, the entirety of the day doing that. For people who basically during the hajj, they've developed an appetite of talking to Allah, they have the most beautiful day in Arafah. And the people that just went through hajj, by just went through the motions, they have the most miserable day in Arafah. The most, they're like, what am I going to do here? Just sitting here. God, I'm bored. This guy's reading Quran. Every time I start reading Quran, I get sleepy. Dua? I don't know. I only know so many duas. You know dua? You don't have to know all of them in Arabic. You can make dua to Allah in English. But people who don't get... If there's one place you should become accustomed to talking to Allah, it's Hajj. And it culminates in Arafah where you spend a day just talking to Allah. That's what it's supposed to be.
1: Don't talk to people. Don't chit-chat. Don't do that stuff. Just talk to Allah that one day. You know? Then pour out of there. from where people leave out. You know, uh,
0: you're supposed to spend the night in Mina, and then ninth you go to Arafah like I said, and, and then stay until the afternoon, and eventually in Muzdalifah. Allah Azza wa the the Quraysh had a certain kind of special attitude. We're from Makkah. We don't go to we don't go to Arafa. We stay in Mina. Everybody else has to go. Allah says Then everybody. Pour out wherever from where people pour out of. You go to Arafah too. That applies to everybody. Just like all the other people. Wastaghfirullah and ask forgiveness of Allah. It means immediately also this is a great time to ask forgiveness of Allah. And those of you who think
1: you're above this law, you better ask forgiveness of Allah. Wastaghfirullah. Inna Allaha ghafurur rahim. Certainly Allah is extremely forgiving, always merciful. Then when you're done performing your rituals,
0: then remember Allah like you remember your ancestors. Aba' is mentioned here because the favorite pastime of the Arab was to talk about ancestors. Just like your favorite pastime may be movies, sports, cars, technology. Those are your aba' nowadays. Nobody talks about their parents nowadays. Like my dad, you know what he did? <laughs> We don't, that's not our pastime. But Allah is talking to people whose favorite pastime was, yeah, my grandfather was this warrior, and he did this and that. Like we talk about movies, their action movies was the stories of their ancestors' lives. So when they sit together, they share those old-time stories, and they reminisce about them. The point here, the spirit of the text is, remember Allah with the same enthusiasm, you know how time flies when you're chit-chatting? You're talking about stuff and you don't even know where time goes and you go from one subject to another and like five hours go by and you're like, woof! It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. You know? That's the same enthusiasm with which you should be remembering Allah. Fathkurullah <laughs> ka kum ada'akum shadda ذكرا. Or even more intense. Wa nas, nas. Then from among the people. You know what I told you, right? If there's one place that simulates judgment day for us, it is hajj. You should forget about dunya when you get to hajj. And there's a person who went to hajj. And they only went to Hajj. Sometimes they go. people go for the wrong reason. They go to show off. You know, this is not, not the case much anymore, but in, in Muslim countries, many Muslim countries, you go to Hajj, so you get a title at the end, Al-Hajj. You know, people call you Haji Saab. You know, you're, you're pure and sacred now. Some people go because of a guilty conscience. They're running like super haram businesses. Or they're really oppressive to their employees, etc. Or they've taken their daughter's inheritance and things like crazy stuff. They've taken that stuff. And now they have a guilty conscience. So they'll go and make Hajj. But dunya is still like deeply rooted inside their heart. That's still there. But on top of that, you're making Hajj. For whatever other reason. Those are the kinds of people dunya has made so far away into their hearts. That even Hajj doesn't get it out. The one place that could have got it out of your system would be that. So at the end of it, when the time comes to make du'a. They're still making du'a for dunya. They forget about They don't have no concern for akhirah. So they say Then from the people Even there's someone who says Dunya, Our master, give us in dunya Give us in this world Ya Allah, a newer house Ya Allah, just extend my credit line So I can get a second mortgage I know it's haram But I already put the you know, first few thousand dollars In my son's student loan And that's important too And Ya Allah, you know, expand the business Even though I sell you know, liquor they're I mean, all kinds of wild you know what Allah means here by dunya is give me dunya that doesn't build my akhirah I just want dunya I just want stuff here that's all I want wa ma فِي الْآخِرَةِ akhirati and he will have no portion in the akhirah whatsoever you know on the one hand the prophet told us ask Allah even for a shoelace right and on the other hand here we are Allah is complaining about someone who's asking for dunya how do you reconcile those two things you know we ask Allah in priority. You ask Allah for the, you, why were you created. You ask Allah first and foremost, wastaqeen That's the first dua Allah taught us. First, the first complete dua in Quran is guidance. us. Everything else you enjoy in this world is so that you can sustain yourself for your real purpose. But for some people, even though they've come to this treasure, they're in a position to ask for the greatest treasure, guidance and they have no care for it, all they still want is dunya. They've, they're clearly their preference is this world over the next. Then that is an insult to this deen. Then Allah says, fine, I'll just give you what you want. And there are a lot of people, a lot of materialistic Muslims. May Allah not make us from them. There's a materialistic attitude among Muslims, who are completely living lives of dunya, no concern whatsoever for the Akhira. And in Ramadan, they will pray a lot, they will also go to Hajj, but will all of their du'as be for? Not for forgiveness, not for mercy on judgment day, not for the Islam of their children, not for the forgiveness of their parents. Their du'as would be, ya Allah, promotion, economy is bad, make sure I keep my job, make sure the house is paid off for, that's it. Nothing else. I'm not saying you shouldn't make du'a for those things, but if you missed the point of why you're even in existence, if your existence, your, your biggest concerns are worldly in nature, then you forgot the essence of this deen. And the one exercise that should have reminded you of that was the hajj. So Allah says,
1: وَمَا لَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ And He has no portion whatsoever at all in the afterlife. None. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ And from among them is someone who says, رَبَّنَا Atina
0: فِي الدُّنْيَا حسنى. Every time you go in Tawaf, there's a Rukun Yamani. From there to Hijar Aswad, when you go, this is the Masnoon Dua you're supposed to make. Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana, wa fil akhirati hasana, wa qina bin nara. I'm sure many of you memorize this since you were little. How misunderstood this Dua is though. People who even think they know it's me, they say, Oh Allah, give us really good in dunya, and really good in akhirah. Hook me up here, and then super hook me up over there. Right? And that's what this Dua means. Man, No. Allah says, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا The word "hasana" changes everything. They give us the most beautiful thing in this world. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ This uswa of the Prophet, this role model of the Prophet wasallam, is that in dunya or in akhirah? Is he a role model for us in dunya or is he a role model for us in the akhirah? In dunya. Allah says the best thing you can have in this dunya is the Prophet's role model. When you ask Allah in this dua give me the best in this dunya what are you asking for for you to be a follower of the best role model in the best way because the best thing you can have in this world is, a, is the following of the man who lived the best possible life in this world sallallahu alaihi wasallam that's what you're asking Allah for and if you do that then only it's only logical that you'll get the best possible thing in the akhirah wa fil akhirati hasana because we ask for the best in this world that will lead to the best in the next world. It doesn't mean the best car, the best house. It's not what it's talking about. And you can, you can have all of those things, it's fine. لَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ أَن تَبْتَغُوا فَضْلًا مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ We've already passed this. There's no harmony that you pursue good from your master. But if you forget the purpose for which you live, then that's a tragedy. That's a real sad occasion. But now dunya has gone from your hands into your heart. So at the end of it,
1: وَقِنَعَ عَذَابَ النَّارِ And protect us. From the punishment of the fire. ya Aminya Rabbilalami. Ulaika Lahum Nasibun. Those are the people who sincerely make this dua. Those are the
0: people for them exclusively, there's going to be a portion, nasibun, mimma kasabu, from what they earned. It's so, it's so scary that Allah says that. He didn't say nasibum ma kasabu. Ulaikahu nasibun kasabu. Aw kasabuhu. For them, there will be a portion that they earned. He said, from them, there will be a portion from what they earned. What we earn are both good deeds and bad deeds, sincere deeds and not so sincere deeds, quality prayer and kind of broken hodgepodge, you know, broken transmission kind of salat, where we were half paying attention. You'll get a portion from your deeds, the quality portion. Min <inaudible> Not everything you earned is worth a compensation. Not everything you worked on. Some of the stuff you did was no good. Some of the stuff you and I did needs, needs improvement. Allah will, will ask Allah to overlook all of that and give us more than we deserve, which, without which we can't survive on judgment day. But He makes sure we understand, you'll have to earn. And there are some things that you don't want to get paid for. There are some things you'd rather I don't even touch. لَهُمْ
1: نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا وَاللَّهُ سَرِيْعُ الْحِسَابِ And Allah is quick in taking account. Allah will take that account very, very quickly.
0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. وذكر الله في أيام معدودات. فمن تأجل في يومين فلا إثم عليه، ومن تأخر فلا إثم عليه لمن التقا. واتقوا الله واعلموا أنكم إليه تُحشرون. رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري we're at ayah number 203 in Al-Baqarah And this is the last ayah on the passage of Hajj Make mention of Allah in the limited number of days Meaning, actually, a little bit of history about this The Mushrikun also, as I told you before, all performed Hajj And when they did, they had different, obviously different religions Not just different schools of thought And they all had some form of Hajj in it Some of them believed you should stay after the manasik are performed, uh, you should stay two days. Some believed you should stay three days, you know, uh, 11, 12, 13. Some believed, you know, 11, 12. And they would disagree with each other. And some would say it's a sin to stay the 13th day. Some would say it's a sin to not stay the 13th day. And they would argue with each other about it, etc. This ayah, on the one hand, deals with that issue. Because of course, Sahaba, all they knew of hajj before the ayat came down, are the previous traditions of hajj. And the previous form of the hajj but the other beautiful thing here is it's the concluding comments on Hajj and in the concluding comments it's kind of you're you're leaving Hajj it's the farewell address almost and the the last thing you're going to do when you're going to be doing Dhikr and Jamar'at and at that moment Allah says وَذْكُرُوا just remember Allah remember Allah as though we're learning the point of Hajj at the end of it all now you're about to go home have a really strong couple of days of dhikr remembering Allah because that'll carry forward for the rest of your life. You're not gonna have an opportunity like this one again. And if you take the take home lesson from hajjah, remembering Allah, it's like that. So fi in these limited days, just remember Allah as much as possible. So Allah you know uh, takes care of that problem. Whoever is going to rush in two days, just finish two days of the extra dhikr and then leave, فَلَا No harm comes on him. There's no sin on him. وَمَن And whoever delayed, meaning stayed a third day, Then there's no harm on him either for the one who had taqwa. Now why add even for the one who had taqwa? Obviously people are making hajj. It's an act of taqwa to begin with. Well, you know, you're exhausted. You just finished all the monastic of hajj and now you're sitting kind of relaxed. And somebody can get anxious and they just want to leave. If you're going to start losing your temper and you're going to just get, start getting nasty with other people and you're going to you know, become like that, then it's better that you just leave in two days. If you ran out of juice, just go in two days. It's better for you because you're not going to be able to maintain your taqwa. So the one who can maintain their taqwa and they can maintain their cautiousness and remain vigilant. And that's actually a very powerful psychological phenomenon too. When we finish an important task, our muscles get loose. Like you hold on and you hold on, you give your best and you give your best, and the moment the project is done, you just fall apart. You say, I can't do anything now. Mentally, and then even physically, you just fall apart. And seconds before that, when you were still in the middle of the task, you had all the energy in the world. So you become loose once you see that victory has come. Actually, in this kind of, uh, this phenomena, we'll see on the battlefield too, when we study about Uhud one day. When we learn about Uhud, when some Sahaba realized or thought victory has already come, then they just, you just get loose. And actually one of the meanings of Fashila in Arabic, not just to fail, but to get loose. To just, it's okay now. I don't have to be vigilant anymore. But Taqwa is an act of vigilance. You have to be on guard. So Allah says, whoever's going to remain vigilant, they bet they can stay extra. They should, you know, fulfill as much as they can. And of course, in it also there's a hint that the, the staying the extra day is better. It's better for those who can afford to do so and who have the energy and have the vigilance to do so. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّكُمْ إِلَيْهِ تُحْشَرُونَ And maintain the taqwa of Allah and you had better know, you should realize that you are all going to be herded towards Him eventually. You'll all be gathered towards Him. Now, it's incredible that we, when we come to Hajj, we come voluntarily. We come voluntarily. Hashar in Arabic is gathering animals, actually, originally. Animals are never gathered Voluntarily. So there's two words. There's, you know, tujma'un, uh, you You'll be gathered. And tuhsharun And tuhshar is actually more violent. Hashar Is herding, Like literally when you're herding sheep and you're herding, you know, goats and things like that. And out of fear or the, the noise that the herder makes, they, they rush and they gather towards one place. So it's as though we're being reminded at the end of the occasion of Hajj, we came here voluntarily. But there's a day coming when we will be coming back here non-voluntarily. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّكُمْ إِلَيْهِ you're going to be coming back. And when you come back, it won't be voluntary. You'll be brought here. And you'll be herded here. You know, subhanAllah. A very powerful reminder at the end as one is leaving from Hajj. Because of these ayat also, some, many ulama had just a lot of very beautiful insights about the spirit of Hajj. About the, the, you know, the, 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 the greater wisdom of Hajj. If somebody comes back from Hajj and they, you know, just like you come back from any project, you're like, I don't want to look at the office right now. I don't want to deal with that anymore. I'm done, I need some extra time. I just finished this major project. You can't have that attitude towards Allah and His deen. Actually, you should come back stronger in your dhikr to Allah. More powerful in your dhikr to Allah. And a, da- a subtle danger was mentioned, uh, especially by Mufti Muhammad Shafi'a, rahimahullah, in Ma'arif al-Quran. I thought it was very beautiful. He said that, you know, there are some people who go to hajj, and of course the promise of an accepted hajj the rewards of that are that we ha- we get a fresh start. The sins are wiped out, and we get a fresh start. And on top of that, there's the social phenomenon. The social phenomenon is people around you are constantly congratulating you. They're making du'a for you. They're very proud of you that you finished your hajj, etc. Party after party after party, you're being invited to, and there's a celebration of the hajj, etc. Which is all beautiful, but it can create a problem too in the heart of a person. The one who went and made hajj. Well, you know, now I have a fresh start. New lease, new lease. You know, if you lose a lot of weight, right? Then, and you see like a cake or some soda or something, you're like, ah, it's not going to hurt that much. I just lost like 50 pounds. What's this going to do? Add 60 pounds on in one meal? It's okay. So you, you know, your guard goes down. Because I'm doing pretty good right now. My, my, my sin counter is back to zero. So I can afford to, you know, just a little bit. I mean, it's not that bad. After all, I just did Hajj. So even if I do bad, it's not going to be that bad. So the whole point of being vigilant is not just those few days of dhikr. The, that, that parting advice is now don't become loose. Now stay on point. And the people that are able to maintain a, you know, a, a careful attitude towards sin, watching out, and not feeling that they're safe, they're the ones whose hajj actually has the barakah in it. So there's, a, there's two views, and we have to understand those two views. From the point of view of fiqh, and sharia, and qawaid, there are certain outwardly manasik, there are rituals we have to perform for our hajj to be acceptable. There are, if you, you miss a certain act of worship, you fail to leave from one place to another place, your ihram got, you know, uh, uh, you removed it, or you you know cut your hair too early, or whatever. There's some violations you make, and your hajj legally didn't count, just like salat. You started making salat without wudu, there's a problem. You, st- you said salam, you know, in Maghrib after two rak'at, there's a problem. There are some actual quantitative problems that you have to take care of. But then there's the spiritual problem. The spiritual problem, where was the heart when we were listening to Quran being recited in salat? Was our heart making sajda when our forehead was making sajda? That's a different problem. That's not a quantitative problem, that's a qualitative problem. And the qualitative problem is something that we will be asked about also. Legally speaking, I had wudu, I was facing the right direction, I was in the masjid, my clothes were clean, I fulfilled all the legal requirements of prayer. But there are spiritual requirements also. Hajj is a really big example of that. Legally, you can fulfill all the requirements while possibly not fulfilling any of the spiritual requirements. Not fulfilling any of them. And look, at the end of the hajj, which requirements does Allah Azza wa Jal mention? The point of this exercise. وَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ وَاتَّقُوا This is a spiritual awakening inside a person. Their attitude is different now. The way they think about you know, their, their life and what it's worth has changed. You've just spent 10 days with no luxuries. You've spent 10 days with no change of clothes. You've spent 10 days without you know, grooming yourself the way you're used to grooming yourself. You spend 10 days in, you know, sleeping in uncomfortable settings. You spent a good part of your life just completely devoid of dunya. And the only thing you see around you is other people doing the same exact thing. As though their dunya is finished. All they have left is Allah. That's it. That training exercise, what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to uh, remove the obsession of worldly things from our hearts a little bit. And increase in us an awareness, and an, an ability to appreciate that that void can be filled, that discomfort can be filled with the dhikr of Allah. The people who are uncomfortable at hajj are also feeling incredible. The spiritual, you know, the, the physical material void is filled with spiritual, you know. Recently in the news I was listening, or uh, there was a documentary type thing, where this guy decided he's going to travel around the world with no baggage, nothing. It goes on a three-month trip around the world with just he has a vest that has got pockets in it he has a toothbrush toothpaste a spare t-shirt or something like that and he went around the world and he made some record or whatever and they're asking him his thoughts and stuff and he goes when I came back I was a little depressed when I looked at all my stuff I was like why do I need all this stuff for right and this is not not someone who believes in the (laughs) Akhirah this guy is all dunya and he goes you know I decided to cut down on my wardrobe and I got rid of some extra furniture and I just I've decided to live a more minimal life because I realized I put too much emphasis on stuff around me These things around me that are taking away from my life experience. That's something even a non-believer realizes Even a non-believer realizes I'm too obsessed with stuff Too obsessed with things around me. What's was one thing the Hajj does for us? is it, it, it you know it leaves it removes from us the obsession with things and it instills in us the idea that we can survive without those things. And the real important thing in life is the dhikr of Allah. And by the way, in normal society, you know how you can tell the difference between the wealthy and the poor. The real, like, easy difference. You don't have to study sociology for this. You can just look at how they're dressed. Somebody's dressed like, you know, really like formally, then you can tell this is an important person. Somebody's dressed in rags, you can tell this guy is homeless. This guy doesn't have a job. This guy's a college student or whatever. Right? <laughs> you can tell. You can't tell anybody's social status at Hajj. You can't. Why? We're all dressed exactly the same. We're all fuqara in Hajj. It doesn't matter what you are anywhere else. You're fuqara in Hajj, you know? That's what it's supposed to be. So this is this concludes the, you know, the discussion about
1: Hajj. And then Allah goes straight to Corrupt people. Corrupt people and their status.
0: You know, what they, have, what they have in this life and how it might be impressive to you. So he goes straight, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُعْجِبُكَ قَوْلُهُ فِي And among the people, there's someone whose words impress you in worldly life. Like the, he comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, some ulama say this is about Akhnas ibn shuraiq who used to come to the Prophet ﷺ and claim that he believes and he's with the Muslims and when he would turn around, he would create all kinds of problems for Muslims. He would even, in, in one case, he even destroyed somebody's livestock. And that's what some say this is referring to. Because it says, You know, he, he destroys farmland and nestle and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the livestock, etc. But others say this is actually even general. There's a person who on their face value is trying to impress you with how religious they are, how good they are. But on the inside, they're totally corrupt. And behind the scenes, they're totally corrupt. So they have a face before the religious community and they have a different personality in their business life, in their professional life. They're a completely different person. He testifies, he makes Allah a witness. He brings Allah as a witness in whatever's in his heart. I swear to Allah, I really believe in you. You know, and this I've talked to you guys about this before, and it's coming up here again. The idea of someone who swears a lot to convince you someone who swears a lot to convince you of something, that's actually a very telling sign that they're not honest. You know the car salesman that swears a lot? I swear this is the best deal you're ever going to find in your life. Leave the dealership. (laughs) If you hear that, just... The more he swears, I swear to my mother, I swear to my life, I tell you, you know, you're missing out. I'm looking out for you. (laughs) You walk away from that one, you know. And you learn this even early on. Children that do messed up things. Children will come up to you and say... I swear I didn't get him. I didn't even ask. Why are you swearing? Uh, guilty conscience. There's something inside him. So he feels the need. He knows that his words themselves are not enough. His previous credibility, lack of credibility makes, it, makes his words empty. So he has to reinforce his words with something extra and that is an oath, swearing. So he makes Allah, Allah is witness, I really do believe. And this comes in Surah, Munaf, Surah Munafiqun. You know? قَالُوا إِنَّكَ لَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ So emphatically they say you're the messenger of Allah. Why they feel the need to say it so much? Emphasize it so much? Because this is, this is the nature of their, their lack of character. So he very, you know, very impressively, and Allah has already said he's very eloquent, well spoken. Why? يُعْجِبُكَ قَوْلُ The messenger is impressed with his speech. He's very eloquent. On top of that, he's swearing and emphasizing on what is in his heart, how sincere he is. And Allah adds, khisam. He's the worst kind of enemy and the worst kind, the of, most argumentative person. I'll give you a picture of this, what this is referring to. This Quran is full of psychological depiction, personality traits, character traits. You'll see these people that are TV personalities. And they're very eloquent. They're very eloquent. Even religious, like, you know, ministers. And in like, some Muslim countries, they have these guys that give you know, talk shows. And they're very like over-the-top dramatic when they speak. And they're really like flowery in their speech. And sometimes they're caught off camera. Like they don't realize they're on camera. And they're talking to their crew. Or they're talking to the producer or something. And you will hear the worst language come out of them. The nastiest. You would not think that's the same guy that was just praised the Lord a couple of minutes ago when the lights camera action was on. (laughs) It's a different person altogether. (laughs) You don't know. He's able to put on a show. He's able to put on a show. And these people, when they get exposed, they have to run all kinds of hoops. You know, I, this voice isn't mine. It was dubbed or this is that. Actually, a funny incident, like ha- that, that happened recently. My dad was telling me about on some Pakistani TV show or something, some religious program, this guy's always like singing the sheeds and praising, you know. And then he got caught off camera, <laughs> like cursing somebody out. And they put it on YouTube or something. <laughs> you know, this, this, this this idea, I'm not saying he's a munafiq, but I am saying there is a phenomenon of people that are very eloquent on the one hand, very impressive with their speech, but don't judge them by that. This brings us to a very important point, the last point I'll make for the, today. Muslims, us, especially the Muslim masses, not the leaders, the masses, we have to understand the difference between righteousness and a good message. In other words, the imam, the speaker, myself, others, whoever may be that's giving a reminder, they're giving a reminder for themselves and others. But our reminders are not a testimony to our character. You know what happens in a Muslim community? All of us, we give each other benefit of the doubt. I assume about you that you're not a sinful person. You assume about me that I'm not a sinful person. And that's the mercy of Allah, He covers our sins. All of us make mistakes, all of us are human beings. But you know what happens unfortunately in certain religious cultures, and it's happening in the Muslim tradition too? We look at our religious leadership and we assume that they are angels. We assume that they—they're not human beings like us. They don't have arguments at home. They never get angry. They never get impatient. You know, they never make a mistake. They never fall. And if they—if you do find them falling, you're like, Astaghfirullah, this guy—he gives a talk over there and look at him. You know, he called foul on me on the basketball court. It wasn't even a foul. You know, this, and he, hes gonna teach tafsir or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What happens is we put unrealistic expectations on people who present us this this is This is very important to understand. People who are speaking on behalf of deen are not above anybody else. We're all on the same field. We're all on, this, on a level playing field. There's a one brotherhood. And to create a celebrity culture where we elevate these people so high that they, they start feeling awkward. Like I, I don't name the town because I don't want to embarrass the people. I went to a town last week. And I really, I genuinely felt awkward. Because there was, oh, brother, brother, please have a seat in the front. No, 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 we brought you like, they brought me like eight things of chocolate milk <laughs> for breakfast. I was like, who's this for? sheikh you just want you to be. I was like, first of all, not a sheikh Second of all, stop being weird. Stop, just be normal, dude. You don't have to do all this. No, 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 this is the least we can do. No, no, this is way more than you should do. And it's not just, I, I feel like, you know, in Urdu, there's this fake takalluf thing. No, no, please, please, what turn you mean? But we actually mean or orla," right? That's, that's how you translate that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this is not just harmful for me; it's also harmful for you. This attitude is harmful for you because it creates this idea that these people—they're supposed to—you know—they're held to a high standard, not us. They're the ones that you know we're we're the sinful scum. The least we can do is serve them, and maybe by serving them, that'll count as a good deed. No, it won't. We have to have respect for our ulama, our teachers. That's beautiful, it's wonderful. But it has its limits. And we shouldn't use that as a scapegoat to not do our job. You know, the best thing you can do for our leaders, our ulama, our speakers, our da'is, make dua for them, especially dua for their sincerity. That's the thing that's in danger every time they grab a mic. Every time. Every conference they go to, every halaqa they give, every class they teach, the thing that's being challenged is their sincerity. Every time somebody comes in and says to the imam, this is the best khutbah I've ever heard in my life, you did not do him a favor. You didn't. You just actually messed him up. And he has to just, no, shuk- shukran. It's awkward. Like, What's he going to say? No, brother, don't say that. Astaghfirullah. And this guy's going to be like, I thought he was a nice guy, and now he just yelled at me in front of everyone. So you put him in an awkward situation. But we, we, have, to, we, we have to, good speech is good speech. And the opposite of that is true too. Even if you hate somebody, you can't stand that guy. And he got up, got up and he grabbed the mic and he started talking. Like, I don't have to listen to this guy. I know what he's really like. You know? We hear the speech. If it's got something good in it, we take it. Who are we to judge people? Even if you don't like what the person did in some other instance, that one action doesn't define a person. If actions define people, then we have a right to judge Umar bin al-Khattab from his pre-Islamic life. Actions don't define people. People can be above their actions. They can become different people. They can transform. So we take the good, but we don't necessarily wholeheartedly accept. We don't create the, you know, the, the, the Pope culture. And we don't create the, you know, the, the, the minister culture. We don't create that. We don't help become a part of that. And on, this, on the other hand, we don't become dismissive of people that we don't approve of. They don't meet our super righteous standard. So we can't even take anything from them. Al-hikmatu <speaking in foreign language> Wisdom is the lost treasure of the believer. We take it from wherever we can get it. Even if it's your non-Muslim professor taught you something, you take it. It's fine. So long as there's an element of truth in it, we're grateful to learn. So may Allah Azza wa Jal bless us with you know, clear thought and not be able to cloud our judgment of ideas and our judgment of our behavior towards each other in a way that's harmful to one another. May Allah Azza wa protect all of us from nifaq. أو أنكم تقول بالتعال بارك الله لي ولكم في القرآن الحكيم ونفعني وإياكم بالآيات الحكيم عليكم الله <laughs> ومن <والله. laughs> and even out of the people, there's someone من يعجبك قوله whose speech impresses you في الحياة Dunya in worldly life. There's a guy who's really he's got the gift of gab. He can run his mouth. He can run his mouth try to impress the Prophet He's always talking. Ya you you're so awesome. You know, thank goodness we're sincere believers, all of us, right? <laughs> Going out of his way to just kind of prove his loyalty. And Allah says about this person who who's talks like this in public, Fil-Hayat dunya in worldly life. In other words, his speech impresses you in worldly life. Alluding to the fact that a time will come, he'll be talking in the Akhirah and you'll see what he really is. Then it won't be impressive. Fil-Hayat وَيُشْهِدُوا Wa عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ And every time people doubt what he's saying, he makes Allah a witness to whatever's in his heart. Allah knows I love you so much. Allah knows. I swear by Allah. Allah is witness. And no one will obey you more than I will. No one has done more than I have. No one wishes better for you than I do. Constantly making Allah a witness to justify or to validate what this what this guy is saying. Then Allah says at the same time, وَهُوَ أَلَدُّ الْخِصَامِ and his reality is Alad. Laddun in Arabic, laddun is Shiddatul khisama, The most intense, nasty kind of argumentation and animosity. That's ladd. It's worse than Adu, by the way. Adu is enemy. This is Alad. He's the worst and most intense kind of arguer. Others define laddun or alad here as someone who when he argues, all he does is talk. He refuses to listen. Even when he's listening to you, he's not listening to you. And you can tell people like that, they're really loud when they talk. And when you try to talk to them, they just drown you out with their with their raising voices. They're just not going to listen. This is what he really is. <laughs> huh? Yeah. وَهُوَ Aladdul <laughs> Khisam.
1: And this is among the this is one brand of munafiqun Allah is describing. tawalla. <laughs> and when he turns back, this really talkative, argumentative. You know, this is the kind of person who's really soft.
0: When they speak, they speak very nicely. But you, once in a while, you see them get on their angry side, and you're like, whoa, I did not know this guy is capable of that. And when they reach that point, everybody kind of backs off from them, and nobody says anything to them. And you find something else in their personal life. Wa When he turns away, saafil wa He goes and makes efforts in the earth to create corruption in it. He intimidates other people. Destroys people's crop and cattle. Destroys them. In other words, he hurts other people's businesses. He intimidates, threatens people, bullies people. You know, that's what they do. And people are afraid of them, they don't say anything. Because we know if they try to talk to them, they'll explode again. And they'll become even worse. There are people like, dangerous people like that in society who feed off of them, you know, threatening and scaring and intimidating others. And don't just think these are criminals with guns in their hands. (laughs) You know, these these are people of all manner. and and Specifically, you're talking about munafiqoon, within the ranks of the Muslims. Within the ranks of the Muslims. You know, people that'll that'll try to threaten you to ruin your reputation, say things about you, spread things about you, start sending emails about you to the masjid board. All kinds of drama we have. You know, people won't, won't leave any stone unturned in trying to cause you harm, trying to get your store shut down, spread rumors that you don't really sell halal meat. Right? That you mix pork in there in your sandwiches, you know, just to harm you, just to hurt you. That's all. That's the only reason. These are the kind of people they are. But on the front, very nice, very smiley. You meet them, and you're like,
1: this guy, ah, oh, he's so nice, because you don't know the dark side, right? ربي لِي صدري ويسر لي أمره
0: وأحل العقدة من لساني أَفْقَهُ قولي فالحمد لله وصلى الله على رسول الله وعليه آله وصحبه جماعين ثم ما بعد we're at ayah number 206 of Surah Al-Baqarah. And the conversation about the munafiq continues. The last time we were talking about the one quality of the hypocrite that Allah highlighted is that he's very eloquent in his speech in impressing the Prophet Wasallam. But when he turns around he's a completely different person and causes all kinds of chaos. And Allah continues that conversation and tells us Wa There is someone who actually goes up to him and tells him he's not impressed with his speech and actually sees him for what he is and tells him, look, you need to have taqwa of Allah. When it is said to him, it taqillah. Now, this this qila is also important. It has rhetorical benefits. Qila means it is said. When you say in the English language, it is said, then you don't know who said it, which means the advice can come from anywhere. It's not It expands the meaning. If you mention somebody, some particular person, the messenger came and talked to him or an elder came and talked to him. But advice can come from anywhere and it can come from friends, it can come from fellow believers, you know, it can come from any direction. And this is actually a very important point that a believer should not be worried about where the advice came from. It's very difficult to do that, by the way, for human beings. For us, it's very, very difficult to block out who is talking. And just pay attention to what is being said, it's very difficult Because obviously with our human experience we have baggage right? So if your friend who maybe you got into an argument with some time ago And now he's coming to give you advice, well that you can't forget that argument So it's going to play in your head, what's your agenda? Why are you giving me advice? Or are you trying to get one on me? Because of what happened then and then, so you're trying to connect the dots with something from before and that may even be the case. Somebody might even have some baggage of their own when they're trying to give you advice. And they don't really mean to give you advice. They mean to put you down. A lot of times people give advice in a really mean way. You know? And they say, on the, on they'll say things and they'll say, no, no, I'm just trying to give you advice. But that's just their, their way of masking the fact that they're putting you down. And it's possible. But the believer's attitude is supposed to be something above all of this. Like he doesn't get caught up in these petty... Language politics, these, are these word games that people play with each other, each other to put one on top of the other This is the munafiq's attitude, in other words, this is not the attitude any of us should have What's the attitude? This is Quranic terminology for becoming defensive He takes his pride, his izzah, his authority, his place in society Izzah combines two things in Arabic wal kuwa, Respect and power It combines both of these things That's why you'll find in some translations Aziz, one of the names of Allah is translated as the mighty Which at least Allahu A'lam. in my opinion Al-Qawi is closer to the mighty Or the powerful Al-Aziz actually combines someone who commands respect Because of their power So it combines both of those things Like a minister is called Al-Aziz also Why? Because he has respect But his respect is because of his power Both of those things come together so Al-Izza here, when he says ithm His pride, his sense of Who do you think you are? I demand, I command a lot of respect Because of the position I enjoy How dare you speak to me this way? Who are you to tell me? That gets a hold of him And it's interesting that he's not the fa'il He's not the subject of what's being said He's the maf'ul al fa'il. His pride and his authority That takes a hold of him it grabs him, It like it possesses him at that point. At that very moment, you know, how could you talk to me this way? It's like this creature that lives inside of him, his status, his pride, it invades him. At the very moment, he's criticized. One of the signs of the munafiq, the Prophet tells us ﷺ, fajara. And part of one of the four signs in that hadith, when he's debated with, when he's argued with, when he's countered, then he explodes, he can't take it. He just, he loses his temper. And so this is Akhadatul izzatu Then Allah adds ithm in a sinful way. In other words, عِزَّة in and of itself is not something bad. وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ Allah Himself says, Allah alone owns عِزَّة, owns power and authority. And His Messenger has power and authority. And the believers have power and authority. So عِزَّة in and of itself is something good. And the in another, another in, in the same surah, Surah al they said, you know, we're going to expel from the midst of the ones that have respect and authority. We're going to remove those who don't have any respect and authority. So it's not as simple as you shouldn't have any respect for yourself, and you shouldn't have any sense of you know who you are. We have to respect ourselves, our professions, our place. Our even there's supposed there's a healthy sense of pride in being Muslim. Yes, Islam pushes and and. Forces us to be humble But at the same time We're supposed to have a pride in our deen And we're supposed to walk strong We're supposed to carry ourselves in a strong way Confidence is a big part of our deen too But this particular problem Is not one This is a check of whether you have A good balance of humility and confidence Because too much confidence can turn into Arrogance, right? And this is a good litmus test How do we handle criticism? How does a person handle criticism? They're told to have taqwa of Allah And by the way the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is in a position to say things we can't say. He, one time, there were, there were spoils of war in the battle after, after Badr in Surah Al Anfal, it's mentioned, and the, the spoils were being distributed. And somebody just came up to the Messenger وسلم, and said, Ya, ya Muhammad, ittaqillah. <laughs> Muhammad, have taqwa of Allah. I should have gotten more. The Prophet said, Who's going to have taqwa if I don't have taqwa? <laughs> you know? It, but you know He has the authority To say that Sallallahu alayhi wa We don't have the We can't talk like that <laughs> If I don't have taqwa Who's gonna have taqwa We can't say that We're never gonna be In that position Rasulullah. <laughs> you, you had better know This among your midst Is the messenger of Allah He stands in a different position Than us in these kinds of issues In spiritual matters You know So th- this idea of أَخَذَتْهُمْ bil ithim, Especially when he's told He's not criticized of anything else He's so just fear Allah now the thing is, and, and I'm going to translate roughly as fear Allah, be cautious of Allah, be careful of Allah. But the, more commonly when we talk to each other, we say things like fear Allah. Fear Allah. Urdu khuda ka karo. Right? We'll just say it like that. When you're criticizing somebody. And it's, it was alive then and it's alive today, that, that kind of conversation. Just fear God, what are you doing? In other words, another now thing is when somebody hears fear Allah, what do they think? They think, you're saying I'm doing something wrong. And if I truly feared Allah, I wouldn't have done it. So there's a whole paragraph that's mahdoof, it's omitted. <laughs> when you say, Ittaqillah, have taqwa of Allah. But, how many times in the Quran does Allah command us to have taqwa? Ya ayyuhallazheen amanu, ittaqillah. Have taqwa of Allah, have of Allah. 200 plus times, the Quran keeps telling us to have taqwa. In other words, these words that Allah has said, wa idha qila it doesn't just tell us the scenario of the hypocrite. It's also telling us the sincere believer, the best thing he can say to another believer is, have taqwa of Allah. Have taqwa of Allah. And nobody should ever take that the wrong way. Even if the person meant it the wrong way, it should be taken, yes, you're right. There's never going to be a time in my life, and there's never going to be a time in your life, where the advice, ittaqillah, will not apply. It's ne- there's never going to be a situation where, ittaqillah, what do you mean? I already have it. No, it, we not, never have enough. There's never a time where we have enough of Allah's taqwa The consciousness of Allah The awareness of Allah Which means we should never, ever, ever take offense offense to those words Even if they're coming from somebody who's being condescending Even if they're coming from somebody hurtful Because our consciousness, our awareness of Allah's presence Is more powerful than our awareness of the person that's insulting us When you're in the middle of a heated conversation All you see is the person in front of you But a person of taqwa, they don't just see that they recognize Allah as being Allah just got mentioned You know Allah Azza wa Jalla describes in Surah al Later on in Quran you know, Whenever Allah is remembered Their hearts tremble They're humbled before Allah immediately In other words they forget who's in front of them But Just because Allah was mentioned Now even then When Allah was mentioned Allah did not say They mentioned Allah Or Allah was mentioned in a khutbah, or in a talk, or in a lecture, or in the recitation of Qur'an. Anytime Allah was mentioned, it could be that even in a bad situation. (laughs) Somebody just insulted them and said, اتق Even then, Allah was mentioned, that's enough for them. That's a very high standard to live up to. And that's something we really have to work on, you know, implementing on ourselves. A lot of the instruction, when people think of the Qur'an's demands on Muslims, we think of the halal and the haram. Okay, Allah wants us to pray Allah wants us to fast Allah wants us to do these tangible things But a lot of the expectations of the Qur'an From the Muslim Are actually character Attitudes You know, behavior, behavior and, and, and the way we perceive things And the way we're able to control ourselves That's what Allah Azza wa wants to see And that's really what taqwa is about On the, At the end of the day It's something that's happening inside And it's fruits manifest outside Anyhow, أَخَذَتُ الْعَيْزَةُ بِالْإِثْمِ And by the way, if he does that That is proof that he has kibr he has arrogance. And if he has arrogance, there's no place for him in paradise. There's nobody that's going to enter paradise that has even a mustard seed. Meaning basically an <coughs> atom. A tiny piece of arrogance inside his heart. May Allah not make any of us of those that have arrogance. So Allah says what at the end of it? Fahasbuhu jahannam." Then Jahannam is enough for him. If the words اِبْتَقِ were not enough for him, if those the words of warning were not enough for him, the only thing enough for him then is Jahannam itself. وَلَبِئْسَ And what a horrible cradle, cradle that is. Mihad comes from Mahad. مَهَد is the cradle of the mother. You know about Isa السلام, We learn in the Qur'an النَّاسَ فِي الْمَهْدِ kahlan. The Jahannam is called a Mahad. Some ulama describe because it's going to be like you know how a mother hugs her child? That the hellfire is going to hug its victims and it's going to squeeze them. And what a horrible cradle that is that you're being squeezed in. May Allah protect all of us from the hellfire. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ And now the contrary. Now the other side. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ اِبْتِغَاءَ اللَّهِ from Among the people, there are, there's the kind of person, there's the category of people that may Allah make us from them, the one who sells himself. يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ He sells himself. It's a very beautiful expression. And if you look at it in the passage, the way it connects with what's already been said, on the one hand, there's a person whose nafs took a hold of him. This guy, his arrogance, pride took a hold of him the moment he was criticized. And on the contrary, Allah describes a person who sold himself to Allah. In pursuit of pleasing Allah. And Rida in Arabic is pleasure. Mardat is called Mastar Mimi. It is a very powerful form of, like, really wants to please Allah. He doesn't just want to please Allah, he wants to make Allah really, really, really happy. In other words, he understood the value of holding himself back and not letting his pride get in the way because it's as though he sold his pride to Allah already. He gave that up already. Very eloquent ending by Allah of this ayah too. Allah says, Allah is compassionate. Ra'uf. Ra'uf, ar in Arabic also means when somebody understands what you're going through. You know how you're trying to give somebody counsel. You know, people have difficulty in marriage or they have loss of a family member or something and they come and re- ask for counsel, they go see a counselor, they see the Imam and they're very emotionally overwhelmed at that time. So when they're talking about their divorce or they're talking about the loss of their child or loss of their parent and the Imam is trying to tell them to have sabr, they say, you don't know what I'm going through. They just snap. Because you know, and that's, it's understandable when you're really that overwhelmed in emotions. you could say, you don't understand. You don't know what I've been through, right? Allah says, when you had to hold yourself back, and it's not easy to hold yourself back. It's not easy and it can eat you on the inside. We know now how people that, that bottle up their emotions can actually go through like a physical trauma. Like they can, their blood pressure and heart attacks and all kinds of diseases come. And they're, they're, you know, in addition, they more effectively even than sometimes than medication and all these other things. They're told to be in a relaxing environment or not to put themselves under stress. Because all these physical ailments take a hold of them. Because they weren't able, they keep bottling up their stress. Allah says in this ayah: Yes, you have to bottle it up, and you've sold yourself to Allah. That should give you calm when you understand that you didn't respond. You know the person deserved your anger back. Even maybe they did, but you didn't respond because you know I've given myself up before Allah. Then Allah, Allah tells you, and I know what you're going through. Allah Rauf. Allah knows exactly what you had to go through. Allah knows exactly how much, te- how much of your teeth you had to grind to not talk back, to hold back. Bil of ibad of the slaves. Allahumma ja'alna minhum. The other more comprehensive meaning of the ayah, as a standalone, not even as part of the passage, is there are people who literally their life is, if you look at their life, it looks like they've given their life, they've sold it to Allah. Everything they do in the end, one, one way or another comes back to serving Allah's deen. They understand that's why they're on this earth. The treasure they will amass, is that of serving Allah Azza wa Jal. So they, you know, the, they they embody the the beautiful phrase in the Quran: "Inna salati wa nusuki wa wa mamati lillahi فهذا هو الذي يشري نفسه ابتغى الله. That's the guy. That's the person. That's the brother or the sister. That's just literally sold themselves. They're eating, sleeping, drinking. They're thinking, "How do I serve Allah better?" You know, how, what more ibadah can I do? What is the? And it's not just like and and please understand, ibadah does not just mean that. When you're at home and you're you know, playing with your children Or you're spending time with your wife Or you're doing things You're earning a halal income That that's dunya and then there's work of deen That's also work of deen Even then they're conscious constantly How can I earn more good deeds while I'm at work? You know, what, what can I be conscious of? What bad deeds can I avoid? What more struggle can I do? When they're at home What more can I do to earn Allah's pleasure? You know, What habits can I instill? Man sunnatan hasanatan you know, whoever leaves a good legacy behind. What good legacy can I leave into my children? The wheels are constantly spinning like that. You know, I gotta, I gotta make that. I gotta make, I gotta make more. I gotta make more. The closest thing to that I've seen in the non-Muslim world is people that work on Wall Street. I used to be, well, I went to business school and a lot of my friends and peers in college were business majors. And in, in New York City, when you're about a junior to senior in business, they introduce you to the stock market and you start going to Wall Street and you you know you get involved. man, these guys, they eat, sleep, drink stock, they breathe stock. This is back in the day. this is like in the age of mules and donkey carts, right? We had 50, 28k connections in the library, and these guys are sitting on the computer in the, in the library and the computer lab waiting for the stock to jump up. And they, they jump up when the stock jump up, jumps up, and they descend into their chair when the stock goes down. <laughs> You know, and if you if you take them out to lunch or you're hanging out with them talking to them, all they're talking about is man, it just went up 0.01%. Ho, 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 ho. that's all they're thinking, you know that kind of enthusiasm for good deeds, because I've sold myself to Allah. <laughs> I mean, مَنْ يَشْرِي
2: نَفْسَهُ not sure اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ am بِالْعِبَادِ رَبِّ that صَدْرِي am not sure that مِنْ لِسَانِي not قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهُ am وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهُ وَعَلَىٰ أَلِهِ sure that Uh, from here on until the end of the surah hopefully before next Ramadan Uh, inshaAllah ta'ala we're we're already up to ayah number 207 which is good progress the the surah, surah al-Baqarah is 286 ayat and if we just cover one or two ayat a day I think we can get there inshaAllah ta'ala one or two ayat a day meaning a week (laughs) now um, the passage that we were dealing with was after the discussion about hajj in the Quran and about remembering Allah and there's a really beautiful subject transition that happens Hajj, as all of you know, and you know, uh, every Muslim knows, it's supposed to be a turning point in the life of a Muslim. Right? So you don't come back from Hajj the same way that you were when you left. Something happens in you, you have a new commitment, a new resolve, a new sort of thinking about your deen, about your purpose in life. And there's this spiritual high that's not just supposed to be emotional, it's supposed to be kind of an intellectual thing. You're supposed to really rethink the direction of your life, and where business is going, where career is going, what aspirations for family you and I have. Everything is supposed to be recalibrated at that momentous occasion. I've talked in previous talks when we were going through the Ayat of Hajj about how Hajj itself is like simulation for the Day of Judgment. It's actually you know, simulation training for Judgment Day. So it really does put life in perspective. And after those few days of Just concentrated du'a and leaving everything else behind. We're supposed to have this new sense of commitment to Allah Azza wa Now the next passage after that, what we talked about, was actually someone who does not internalize the teachings of this deen, the hypocrite, who tries to impress the Prophet ﷺ with his elaborate speech. We already had a conversation about that. In that, now, on the contrast, on the contrast, now we're going to read about the other personality. That personality, the hypocrite's personality, it's like the guy who didn't even benefit from something as huge as the Hajj. You know how the Prophet ﷺ describes a person who makes it all the way to Hajj. And you know, people making it to Hajj in our time is different. And people making it to Hajj at the Prophet's time ﷺ is different. So when he says somebody made it to Hajj, somebody gave up their life to make it to Hajj. I mean seriously, they didn't just take a flight. And they don't complain about, man, it had to have a stopover in Chicago. And they didn't have to complain about that. Or you know, it went from Amsterdam to there. <laughs> they went walking, <laughs> you know, for months and months and got there. And then even in that that incredible case, how could you question the integrity and the quality of that person's hajj? But that guy goes and he's begging and he's crying Allah, holding on to the veil of the Kaaba and he's the, the Kaaba and he's crying and the Prophet describes that his clothing is haram, the food he eats is haram, the income, the money he spent is haram. How is he going to be responded to? How can his du'as have any value? And I mean that guy, the effort he put in. I just, even if you think about the, the, that, that scenario, you know, it's a very serious thing. So there are people who can put a lot of effort into Hajj and still get nothing out of it. May Allah not make any of us from those kinds of people. And Hajj is coming inshaAllah, may Allah accept all of it from uh, all, all, all of us and all of us that are going. May Allah bring them back safely and accept their Hajj. Now, Allah talks about the contrary. What is supposed to happen after Hajj? What kind of person is, you know, what kind of personality is supposed to be built? This is the character of the Muslim that's supposed to be revived. You know, there are, there are weekly meetings, you know, they're, they're actually shorter, there are daily short meetings, then there's a weekly meeting at your office, and then there's like this convention, right? So there's the, the weekly meetings, are actually, daily short meetings are the salawat, with jama'ah. Then you have a weekly big get together, which is what? Jummah. And then there's the yearly convention, which is what? It's the Hajj and you know in the Greek convention you're supposed to be super motivated and you come out like fresh like yes you know fired up and now this fire up, what does Allah say, al-nasi ra'a among the people is someone who sells himself nafsahu. hadith literature tells us you know every human being ba'i'un nafsahu. he sells himself but that context is different you and I sell ourselves at work you give 8 hours of your life, 9 hours of your life up for a paycheck you sold a part of your life these breaths that you take in and pull out, these inhales and exhales you gave them up to your office to earn an income somebody gives them up to the shopping cart or the, the grocery store register or the taxi cab that they're driving they gave up a part of their life they would rather not be doing that none of us would rather be at work we would rather be relaxing rather be with our children but we give up a part of our life and in, in some sense the commodity that we're selling is our own time You know, in modern in the modern sense, it's a cheap expression, because time is worth so much more. But they say time is money, but it captures some of the essence of how we sell ourselves. We give up a part of our time, because our time is our life at the end of the day. But in this hadith, or in this in this this ayah actually, another scene is being described, another kind of sale is being described. Yashri nafsahu, he sells himself. And whenever you sell something, it's always an exchange. You gave something up, and you're getting something else in exchange. Yes? and whatever you're willing to part with it better be worth what you're gonna get I'm not gonna go into a store and part with my five dollar bill for something I don't think is worth it I really have to think that what I'm getting is worth this money even more better, it's a good deal which means I'm giving less and getting more right? that's when I give something up now what's the most valuable asset we have? ourselves our, our entire being that's the most valuable asset you and I have and actually even a small extension of ourselves my finger is not myself it's just a small part of me I'm not willing to give it up though <laughs> you offer me any kind of money I'm not, I'm not willing to part with my finger This is just a part of me it's not even the whole of me but I'm not willing to part with it because it's too much value the ayah says there's somebody who sells his entire being yeah, Shri, sell. in pursuit of what could be worth it what could be worth it that this this individual that Allah is describing is giving his entire motivations, his entire aspirations, her entire you know, future goals. They're giving all of them up for one purpose, submitting them to one purpose. Ibdi marḍāt In pursuit of the great pleasure of Allah. Marbat. Marbat is it's called Mastar Mimi. This expression in Arabic you no, know, the Arabic word is liba, like the expression says Riba Allah Nasi Rayatul Right? Pleasing people is a goal you'll never reach. You'll never people will never be happy with you. But this ayah Allah talks about now. Allah is talking about a guy who gave his life up trying to please Allah and not just please him, please him extremely. Marbat. iftira'a marbat illa. Marbat It's a much stronger word. It's a much stronger word. So he really, really wants to make Allah happy. But the question is, what does it mean that he sold himself? Does that mean he quit his job? Does that mean he left his home and just went on the path of Islam or something? What does it mean? It, what this, in simple terms, what this means, is, or what it refers to, is a very large concept in the Qur'an that's reiterated over and over and over again. Allah talks about our motives with Him, our intentions with Him. He talks about it in business language many times in the Qur'an. Allah, for example, calls it tijara. عَلَى تجارة? Allah calls the, you know, the oath of allegiance with him بِبَيْعِكُمُ الَّذِي بَيَعْتُمْ بِهِ you know, ayat Purchasing and selling. Business. Business. You sell something, you get something. This terminology is all over the Qur'an. The question is why? The, the, the answer to that is we are in fact giving something up for something much more valuable in return. Much, much more valuable in return. But this return doesn't come right away i don't know if allah is happy with me or not i don't know but i'm still going to pursue making him happy in every other relationships human beings experience like you try to make your wife happy good luck with that by the way you know she tries to make you happy you know you try to make your brother happy you try to make your in-laws happy well you know you know how that goes right so you you know you make, try to make people happy, you do everything you can, and guess what you find at the end of it all? You're still not happy. How many times people have argument in their home, no matter what I do, you're never happy. So the son runs away from home. So, Why did you run away? Well, no matter what I did, my dad was never happy with me, bro. He's never satisfied, what can I do? And in every other relationship, when you don't see that the other side is happy with you, then you give up. I don't want to do this anymore. The wife will give up and say, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. The husband will say, no matter what I do, she's always unhappy with me. Why, why would I want to continue to be miserable myself and keep her miserable? It's just not working out. She's not happy, I'm not happy. But in the case of my relationship with Allah, I don't know if Allah is happy with me. It's a very difficult question to answer. How will I know if Allah is happy with me or not? And this question, you know, one of the great Zuhad was, was looking for the answer to this question. How, how am I supposed to know if Allah is happy with me or not. How do I know where I stand? And finally, eventually the answer he came to, I think it has a lot of wisdom in it. It's not a hadith or an ayah, but I still think the statement has a lot of wisdom in it. Is you you and I have to take a good look at how we spend our day. What does Allah have us do in 24 hours? That should be a pretty good indication where we stand with Allah. If Allah has opened the doors for us to earn good deeds, If Allah has opened the opportunity for me to make, build and build and build my real estate in Jannah on a daily basis, He is giving me the opportunity to be good to my mother and I'm taking the opportunity. He's giving me the opportunity to make salat in the masjid, and I'm taking the opportunity. He's giving me the opportunity for me to learn this deen, or teach this deen, or share this deen, or practice this deen, or guard my shame. There are things that I'm doing on a daily basis that make Allah happy, that I know for a fact Allah said, these things make me happy, and I find that Allah is giving me the opportunity to do these things. That in and of itself should fill us with hope. It's not a guarantee, but at least it gives me hope. At least Allah is not surrounding me with things I know make him angry. At least I'm in the company, in an environment, in a culture, that I know is pleasing to Allah. So one of the things for example for us sitting in this masjid, one of the things that should fill us with hope is the fact that we're sitting in a masjid. We're not sitting at home watching TV. The fact that we're sitting here is also a good sign that Allah is happy with us. Or there's hope for us. It's not a guarantee at the end. There's no... Allah does not give us guarantees. Guarantees come on judgment day. All you get here is struggle. But this person is ready to make the fill and not give up. Now I turn to the younger audience here. What does it mean for you guys? Our religion, subhanAllah, we have to be aware of where we stand in the, in the world. Where Islam stands, where the Muslims stand, stand at their time. So we don't just think about Islam at the time of Umar, rabiallahu anhu, and at the time of the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's important, sure. We have to have a really keen eye on where Islam stands in the world today. Because we're living today. And you know what's happening in the world, I'm specifically addressing the youth in the audience. You know today, in most of the Muslim world, there's two populations of Muslims, and they're furthering themselves more and more and more and more and more. By the day. It is happening in Egypt, it's happening in Bangladesh, it's happening in Pakistan, Indonesia, you name it. There is a fraction, there's a partition happening. And what kind of partition is this? There is a significant population of people that want nothing to do with religion. Muslims. They want nothing to do with Salat, They see a bearded person or a covered woman, they get angry. These people are the reason our country is not successful. These mullahs are holding us back. You know, they're they're, they're, they're not just not practicing the religion. They don't even like somebody who looks religious. They're the problem, you know. And that population is growing. And more and more and more of our youth, the Muslim youth are becoming, developing that attitude towards the religion on the other extreme you have people that look extremely religious and the more religious they get the angrier they get at the world they get angrier at their wife and their husband they get angrier at their neighbor they, all, they really get angrier at the guys that aren't religious so there is a hatred brewing inside the Muslim world you know one of the craziest things recent observations you may not agree with my observation this is my own observation Allahu at least I can talk about my own society, Pakistan at least, this is happening in other places too there are two words that are antonyms, you know what antonyms are right, opposites religious modern the actual antonyms are religious and a-religious religious and not religious, religious and secular, no 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 no. our antonyms are what, religious versus Modern. modern, as though you cannot be modern and religious at the same time, that doesn't make any sense To then it doesn't make any sense to be religious you have to live 1400 years ago or pretend like you're living 1400 years ago you have nothing to do with the modern world you're living in a different time, you don't belong in this time that's the mentality that's developing who is going to crush that mentality that hate that these people live in a different time they don't even belong here they don't even belong in our time what they have to say, everything they have to say is outdated, it's not modern these people represent a prehistoric religion, so they themselves are prehistoric and outdated. Who is going to change that mentality? People that are both modern and religious. Modern does not mean that your hijab came off, guys. That's what, that, is, that only means modern in Pakistan. Okay? Modern does not mean that, that you know you're going to concerts, yeah, but in modern family, you know. That only means that in Pakistan. Modern means you're up to, you're educated, you're well educated in worldly sciences. You know, you're a professional in any field. In the medical field, in the technical field, in the social sciences, in the human sciences, and yet at the same time you're committed to your religion. That species of Muslim is a very rare find in the Muslim world now. That species is dying. And you know where we have the opportunity to create that species and grow it and nurture it? Right here. Right here. It's happening. It's already happening. And you know what? It's the, the Muslim world is noticing. Did you know that a lot of YouTube videos and lectures that are given here by, by Muslim youth are listened to in Indonesia, in like Pakistan, in Bangladesh, in Malaysia, in Egypt, in Syria. I was at the convention a couple of weeks back at the ISTA convention last week and I met a group that, you know, they're, they're trying to get humanitarian aid for the struggles in Syria. The sister comes up to me and tells me we're listening to your podcast on Jaza and I was like, why? Why are you guys? You guys are in Syria, man. <laughs> you know, hub of knowledge. But you know what's happening with the youth? They're actually looking to Muslim youth in the West, particularly for leadership. They're looking for it. There's a reason. There's, an, uh, there's a responsibility Muslims in the West are sitting on to show how Islam can be lived in our time, with, without the anger towards the other, but, and how Islam can beautify our personal life, communal life, and the world altogether. How it can beautify. This is the responsibility we sit on. But that means you and I shouldn't just be worried about career. Again, I'm referring to the young guys, and I'll talk to my generation. My generation is the guys that went to college in the 90s. And when I was going to college, MSA was a different animal. Some of the younger guys that are sitting here, college scene, MSA was a different animal. These guys were dedicated men. These guys were dedicated. I went, when I, when I first joined an MSA, I had an MSA meeting, I still remember like it was yesterday. It was at Columbia University in New York, right? And there's like 20 MSAs, each rep, one representative from each sitting in a circle, and they're talking about how they're going to sponsor one orphan from a Muslim country every year. Just these, they're not going to do a fundraiser, they're going to spend out of their own pocket, those 20 people, and they're going to fund the, you know, sponsor a, an orphan every year and make sure one gets adopted, and sponsor a, a child's hives, child hives in some, some part of the Muslim world, etc. And I was like, these are freshmen in college, whoa, these, are, these guys are on a different level. Like they think big, that's incredible, you know. But you know what's the sad thing about my generation? These amazing people graduated, then they got into their careers, and then what happened? They disappeared. They disappeared, I maybe see them at Jumu'ah, maybe. They might listen to watch a video here and there. Them being contributors like they used to be, I know family is important, and a family is a priority. But that doesn't mean you forget that there's more. That there's some other responsibility you and I have, you know. And maybe they're working in different ways. And that's possible, possibly the case, but a good number of them just disappeared into the woodworks, and you call them and you catch up and you say what's going on and what's the usual answer, ah, just work man just work is that what life is about? is that what it's about? is there nothing more? we have to leave our mark, this deen's mark before we leave here people shouldn't remember us, but they should remember Allah as a result of our efforts if Allah has barakah in them, you know this is a person who sold himself, we should think of ourselves on a mission then Allah adds this beautiful phrase وَاللَّهُ رأوفٌ بالعباد. رأوف. In Arabic, compassion. Also consideration. You know how you say in English, I know how you feel? That's ra'fa. I know how you feel. You know how you talk to somebody and you say, Man, I'm trying to talk to my dad, but he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. I tried to talk to the Imam, he couldn't relate to me. I need to talk to a counselor who can relate to me. He knows where I'm coming from. He gets what I'm saying. That's rafa. Allah says, I know what you're going through. You know what that applies? If you and I struggle for this deen, it requires sacrifices. You have to give things up. You have to be in some sort of discomfort. And Allah knows what you had to give up. He knows the struggles you and I had to make. And each one of us in our personal lives are going to have to make those judgment calls. What am I going to give to Allah? What things am I going to sacrifice? whoever helps his deen hurts his dunya the Prophet told us something of my dunya I'm going to have to give up Something's going to have to take a back seat and something else is going to have to take a priority and for each one of us because Allah has blessed us with different talents different abilities different capabilities different different opportunities each one of us have to ask ourselves a different question how am I going to serve Allah? what am I going to do? how am I going to give to this deen? and based on what Allah has given you you have to come up with an honest answer for yourself you know, even if, and, and, and for, for the women that are listening, how are you gonna give Islam to your family? How, how are you gonna deliver it to your children? That's a big responsibility, and no, there's no bigger influence on my children than their mother. It's a huge responsibility on her shoulders. On the father's here, how am I gonna give Islam? How am I gonna give my children a pride in Islam as they're coming up? By the time my child is 13, 14 years old, how do I make sure that it, there's a hadith being said by the Imam after Salat, and he doesn't sit there and go whatever. Or he doesn't open up his phone and start playing a game. And he pays attention like this is the most important thing in the world. How do I put that attitude in my kid when he's 13? When he's at the I don't care age. That's an agenda guys. That's something we got to think about. Something that requires a lot of effort. So This is selling ourselves for the pursuit of the pleasure of Allah. And last thing I share with you guys, us particularly, alhamdulillah, in the Irving community. And the DFW community by extension, Allah has blessed us with colossal masajid, inshallah they get bigger, okay, <laughs> colossal, I mean I remember going to masjids in New York City, which were basements of apartments, one bedrooms, where Jummah was being held on staircases, you know the Warren street masjid, I used to go to Juma in downtown, in the financial district, we used to pray on the pavement. You better be 15 minutes early before khutbah starts, or you're going to pray on the street. That's where you're going to pray. Subhanallah. We have incredible facilities here. Incredible. It's just on another level. But is that making us complacent? Like, Alhamdulillah, we already established the deen of Allah in Irving. 75062. We're done. Everybody else has to establish the deen now. No, 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 no. These are the luxuries and ni'am and amenities that Allah has given us. How did we put them to work? You don't think Allah is going to ask us? I hooked you guys up. I kept the real estate prices low in Texas. So you guys could build. I kept you next to the airport. I had you build, you know, housing complexes where all of you could live together. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do for the neighborhood? What did you do for the city of Irving? How did the word of Allah get out? from you people. We can't complain about anybody else. We're actually supposed to be more answerable than anybody else. That's what we're supposed to be. Our masajid are filled. That's a point of joy, but it's also a point of concern. Man, we're gonna be asked. (laughs) We We got stuff to do. So we all have to start thinking like, we've sold ourselves to Allah. How are we going to take this deen further? We're not in this neighborhood so we can save ourselves from the influences of kufr and our children can be in a safe environment. That's cool. But now you're thinking defense, guys. Islam is all, it's not about defense. Because when you're in defense in sports, what does that mean? When you're always on defense. You're winning or losing? they are losing. they are losing if you're on defense. You thing's about offense. Take the ball in your hand. How do we give this to others? How do we spread this? How do we go and have? how do we engage? This is the question we have to ask. May Allah give us all the ability to be, to be counted among those that have sold themselves for the sake of Allah. May Allah really help all of our communities across the world and especially in this town Help us appreciate the gifts that Allah has given us and to materialize them and to put them to work the way that they're supposed to be put to work. May Allah accept every big and small effort that we're making and overlook the many shortcomings that you and I have. Barakallahu Alaikum fil Quran al Hakim. wa nafani wa
1: ʿiyakum bil ayati wa dhikr al wa Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'll
0: leave you inshallah with this ayah and we'll have a longer discussion about this ayah. Next week, Ya ayyuhal amanu, udhulu fi silmi kafatan. Those of you who have Imam, now that you've heard all of this, we have to understand something about the phrase Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, especially here. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, which is commonly translated, those of you who believe, is used in the Quran in a very broad range. So it, it depicts the most wide population of the Muslims, which roughly speaking is three categories of people. There's the strongest believers, al-Mu'minun. Kama yakul subhanahu wa ta'ala, qad aflaha al-Mu'minun. Allahumma ja'ala min muflihin al-Mu'minin. Right? So that's one category, the true believers. Then the second category is the Muslim. Muslim who has not the has Islam but hasn't tasted Iman yet. Wa lamma الْإِيمَانُ Imanu fi They are also included in the phrase, Ya أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا amanu. Even if they haven't tasted real iman yet, and the, it hasn't penetrated the heart, and it hasn't moved them yet, but still, still trying to do good things, they're also included. And actually, in some instances in the Quran, even the munafiqun are included in the phrase Ya Ayuhaladina Amanu. Ya Amanu Malakum idaqila lakumunfiru fi sabirillahi thawqal tuminalab. Those of you who have iman, what's wrong with you when you're told march forward in Allah's way? You your feet get planted into the earth. It's the munafiq that preferred worldly life over the next life but the phrase wasn't ya ayyuhalladhina nafaku malakum it's ya amanu malakum similarly ya ayyuhalladhina amanu limataquluna ma la surah saf allah says those of you who have iman why do you say what you don't do what's the classic definition of a munafiq he says what he doesn't do he does what he doesn't say why is there a contradiction between your speech and your actions but the phrase begins ya ayyuhalladhina amanu why is that important There's a lot of hikmah in combining these three populations together. So no one knows where they stand. The mu'min does not know where where he stands. The munafiq does not know where he stands. And by the way, whenever the warnings are given about nifaq, about hypocrisy, guess who gets worried? The one who doesn't have to worry gets worried. And the one who should really be worried doesn't say, Oh, this is not about me, this is about the munafiq. I'm I'm already graduated past that. (laughs) You know, I see some parallels to this, not that students are hypocrites, but I see some parallels to this in classes, in teaching, in education. The teacher comes up and says, I'm very disappointed with some students. I really, and he does it, he's general, he keeps it general. I'm really disappointed with some students. Their behavior in class, their seriousness towards the homework, their, you know, their attitude towards the test is really appalling. I'm really disgusted. Now the teacher goes back into his office. And after school, the best students in class walking. in, did I do something wrong? Sorry. Like, no, it wasn't you. What are you why are you here? And the one that the teacher was making eye contact with the whole time, because there's one criminal in that yelling. He doesn't show up, he's like, he comes next morning, Gave Halakustah. I was good. He's got no warning. The one who needs that warning? Ma illa munafiq, wa ma illa mu'min. This is again just a parallel to help you understand the psychology of the problem. The one who really has the problem is super convinced he's got no problem. And the one who has no problem gets really worried that he might have the problem. That's the nature of the mu'min. That's why when we hear this counsel, this advice, if we don't feel worried, that is something to worry about. <laughs> and if we do feel worried, then that's good news. May Allah Azza wa Jalla make us of those who feel worried And may Allah graduate all of us into Iman So udkhulu fi silmi kafatan Enter into a silm A silm means safety, peace Also means submission It's one of the words for Islam. for Islam Enter into Islam You probably heard this phrase before Enter into the fold of Islam completely Kafatan And a shadd in kafatan Because if you say jami'an, kamilan That works too but in the ahkam in the of tajweed, which are unique to the Qur'an, this didn't exist before the revelation of the Qur'an, there's a mud and the extension of the word. We say, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا دُخُلُوا فِي We don't say, kafa, the extend Extend means, oh, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you in English. All together. You know when somebody speaks like that? When they say, I'm going to get every one of you <laughs> That extension of the syllable in and of itself means something In and of itself, don't miss anything out from this deen Don't allow yourself to compromise any part of this deen Kaafatan. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا al While not following and don't you dare follow the footsteps of the shaitan Shaitan's left some footsteps for you, don't you follow them It's really interesting the imagery here you know, some scholars and some writers talked about you know, imagery in the Quran, like Sayyid Khutb's book, At Tasweel Al Fani Fil Quran Al Kareem. You're going on a path, you're going on the straight path. Shaitan comes and does waswasa, and as he does waswasa, he says, Look, I got another path for you. And he, t- he takes that road, and he leaves what behind? Footsteps. Just take a little right. I'm saying there's a little small detour. It's, it's more comfortable this way. I got a shortcut for you. La <laughs> tattabi'u خطوات الشيطان. What does it mean? The one who will try to submit to Allah completely, the one who will make that effort, immediately what will come? Shaitan's wasfasa. Immediately. Hey, come on, just a little right, a little left. Come on. It's not that bad. You're doing so much good, this is... You're gonna pay for it. I mean, tomorrow's Juma. It's alright. Just do a little party and tomorrow's... You know, all clean up. Don't worry about it. Just one or two steps to the right, you'll come back on the straight path. You know, Ramadan is like in one week. You got a party, man. I had no idea where Mardi Gras came from. I had no clue where it came from until this year. You know the Catholics? They have the, the, their, their celebration of Good Friday, Black Friday. And they have their fasting, the Lent. Right? Good, Good Friday, sorry. Not Black Friday, that's the same. Lent. Sorry, Catholics. Okay, so Lent. <laughs> they the, and they, they're supposed to fast and they're supposed to be extra spiritual and they say, oh man, that's around the corner. We better party hard before we, you know. Soitan. Kabla <laughs> Ramadan. I've actually met guys like that. When I used to be in New York, you see all kinds of fun people. You know? You see Muslims, where are you going, man? Yeah. you know, gotta do a little something, something. I was like, what are you what are you where are you going? Going to the club, bro. Why are you going to the club? Because Ramadan's next week. I can't go for a whole month. I gotta, you know. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? Seriously? He's like, yeah, yeah, man. He's he, he really he's gonna observe Ramadan properly, and and then Eid. Eid. Just that the way we celebrate Eid is a pretty good indication, you know. Like, oh, it's done, done. Shaitan comes back and says, "Come on, come on. Let me show you my forget footsteps. I'll show you the highway. Floor it. Let's do this." You know. <laughs> Innahu lakum adu'u mubeen. No doubt about it. He, especially for you, is an open, clear enemy. lokum is muqtas here. In other words, it's specific to the believer who's trying to submit totally to Allah. For you, especially, he's an open, clear enemy. What that means is he doesn't care about everybody else. You're trying to submit to Allah totally. He hates that. None of us will totally submit to Allah. We're going to keep trying to do so. He cannot stand the fact that we're even trying. So the one who'll try to come to Allah even a little bit, you'll see his life turn upside down. Shaitan will do everything he can to turn his life upside down. I told you the story of a brother I met over here. He came, he he used to run, he's from some like uh, Eastern European background, Muslims for three, four generations. And one of the dhrus he came, it was one of the only times I saw him at the masjid. He used to, his family owns like five bars in Dallas. And they've owned them for like 30 years. And he just, last Ramadan something came in his heart He said, this is wrong, I can't do this So he quit the business And he came to the masjid and started praying His family finds out, they all flip out And then they call him over for dinner And of course beer runs like water in the house And he refuses to drink And the whole family kicks him out And everybody's super angry at him And you know, they're they're trying to cut him out of the business or this or that And Man, he's like, all I did was just pray And my whole life turned upside down I was like, congratulations Shaitan's after you (laughs) And Shaitan doesn't just come and do waswasa to you. He takes all the people around you that are already following him and puts waswasa in them to make your life miserable. He'll use everybody around you. He'll create a whole environment of trouble for you. And you have to go through that with patience. And at, at that point, especially by the way, since we're tying everything together and I'll leave you with that, at that point you'll get into arguments. For the sake of your deen, you'll get into arguments with your family, you'll get into arguments with close relatives. And at that point, don't let your pride take a hold of you. At that point, Yashirinafsahubdila amarbatilla. At that point, they'll say, you know, why? oh, this is what your Islam teaches you. To talk back like this, to insult your family, and you'll be like, Urgh. But you gotta you gotta hold it. You gotta put the brakes on and not talk back. May Allah Azza wa help us live these ayat in our lives, and may Allah Azza wa Jal help us see the fruits the benefits and the, the joy of implementing these ayat and enjoying the guidance that Allah Azza wa Jalla puts into our hearts and in our lives as a result. Barakallahu fil Qur'an al-hakim wa nafa'li wa iya'kum bil ayati wa zhikra al-hakim. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytana rajeem. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu dhukuluu fissilmi silmika ولا تتبعوا خطوات الشيطان إنّه لكم عدو مبين. رب الشح لي صدري وييسر لي أمره وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي. فالحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. ثم أما بعث ونسجان السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. InshaAllah Ta'ala today we'll do a brief study of uh, ayat number 208 and hopefully we can reach ayat number 210 of Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah Azza wa Jal says after the one who sold himself completely for the pleasure of Allah, the call is made to the rest of us. It's a really interesting transition. On the one hand Allah... Compliments and praises someone who sacrificed himself and given him, himself up for the Deen. And on the other hand, there's the rest of you and me. So now we're addressed. Everybody else is addressed. You find yourself within them or not? And if you don't, here's what you should do. Ya amanu Those of the, those of you that believe, and here it kind of implies that as for the rest of you believers, as of the rest of you that claim to have Islam and Iman, udhulu enter. فِسْسِلْمِ Silm is, you know, it's understood basically almost majority as Islam, as Salam itself. Silm literally, however, means safety, security, calm, peace. You know, and فِسْسِلْمِ Enter into the fold of Islam, that's how it's commonly translated, into submission. Also, Silm is also submission before an enemy in the Arabic language. So, you know, when two sides are fighting and one says, okay, they raise the white flag and they give up, that's also Silm. To, to give up before the enemy and to just do what they're asking you to do, give in to the demands, give up your territory to them, this is also sin. And the impression with that is that they're, we're almost as, a, as, the, as though the human being is in a struggle with himself and with Allah عز And you should stop struggling and just give up. Just quit it. End this rebellion, end this fight. And just give up before Allah. And all of you should do so kafatan entirely and completely. We've had this conversation under different themes before but I want to reiterate certain things. This selective submission to Allah. This is the ayah that sort of in a very comprehensive way addresses this problem. You know the ayah actually in some sense is complete. إِذَا قَالْ سُبْحَانَهُ فِي سِلْمِ Enter into the fold of peace, enter into submission. But he added the hal kafatan, What state? Completely and absolutely. And you know some ulama that focus on rhetoric and balagha and things like that. They even talk about the difference between jamian and kafatan. Jamian also means altogether, but kafa, One of the interesting differences between them is that the syllable is stretched. So actually, when you're reciting it with, with, with tajweed, you're reciting. It's like, it's really long. And the, the prolonged nature of it is actually to extend the meaning of it to al you mana know, If you emphasize the word, you're emphasizing the meaning. And if you're stretching the word, you're stretching the meaning also. So all together, I mean there is no no dimension of your life and mind that shouldn't come under this fold. And this is actually something, I know this dars is supposed to be sort of independent of current events and whatever's going on and but it's hard because we're human beings, right? We have, we're, we're impacted and we're also deeply saddened by the things that are happening around us. The immaturity, unfortunately, that the, the ummah displays at some occasions. because Out of its love, I mean, the, the emotions that the people are showing on the streets across the Muslim world, they're rooted in love, but you know what? They're not rooted in submission to deen. It's not. I mean, there, there are so many basic principles of deen that are violated and it's supposedly under the banner of love for the prophet sallallahu that's not love love for the prophet sallallahu alaihi is when we do whatever we do under submission of allah's regulations for just as a small example there is no circumstance under which you can harm a guest and one of the most like prominent forms of guests are ambassadors when an ambassador is in any, in, across history, and you can't say the American ambassadors are an exception, and the, you know, you know, whatever other ambassadors are an exception, they're not. So long as they're embassies and they're ambassadors, they're sufarah, then killing them is a crime across the board. Because they're guests, they're supposed to be honored. You know? And it, what even hurts even more, I met some Muslims recently that, especially the, the ambassador in Libya, the American ambassador that was killed, some Muslims that knew him. The man studied Arabic, the man studied Islam. He lived among the Muslims. He was a good neighbor to them. He cared about their concerns. Even when he spoke in government settings about the the Libyan people, he said, you know, we should not intervene as much as possible because I I believe in the will of the Libyan people. I mean, it was one of the last things he said before he was killed. You know, we're killing people like this because some idiot made a film on YouTube. It's like really absurd, the two things are so disconnected. There's the two things, and I'm not even talking about whether we should kill or not. That's a sub, separate subject, but this like pointless rage. How is this Islam? Like what Islam is this? Where in the Qur'an is this justified? What practice of the Prophet Wasallam can you possibly attribute to this? You know, and you know what people like to do? They like to take an isolated like ayah. Or a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, or a story from the Sahaba, and make sure that you don't run it by somebody who actually knows their Deen. Make sure you don't ask a Alim first, because you're the Alim at this point. You can just quote a hadith, and you're the Mufti at this point. So much so that you can take a life. You know, people can read something. Let's not discuss its context or its authenticity or anything else. Let's just take this is this is submission to Islam. This is love for Islam. What what's gone wrong with us? We've gone crazy. And really, there's some real re-education in Islam that's needed for all of us. You know, it's now literally become a matter of life and death. Literally. That we're not, we don't understand our deen. You know? And it hurts not just the, 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 the ummah that's there, the few crazies that are there make the entire ummah look bad. There, across the Atlantic. But also the work of da'wah of this deen. One of the obligations you and I have is to share the message of Islam. As whatever, in whatever capacity we can, with our actions, with our character, an opportunity comes up to talk to your you know, co worker a little bit about deen, you'll use the opportunity, you'll bring something up, you'll invite them to a da'wah program or whatever, you know, or an open house at the masjid or an interfaith meeting. Well, these things take various forms. But you know what? Now all of those conversations are hijacked by the behavior of Muslims. All of them. And, and again, this is the dust. I don't want to digress too much from the dust, but the last thing I want to tell you. Really, seriously, the, the video had like not even 30, 30 hits before the Muslims picked it up. And please don't come and tell me it's a Jewish conspiracy or it's an American conspiracy. There's no American conspiracy for a bunch of crazy young people to go outside and yell and scream at the top of their heads. That's all us. Stop living in a fantasy world where they're all conspiring against us and it's not a, it's never our fault. Let's own up to the fact that we're not educated, you know? People, and I, I give khutbah about this, uh, this is the last comment I'll share with you, we'll go back to the ayah, inshallah. People ask me, I'll say it bluntly, really, because it, it really hurts me. People say, why do you Muslims react this way? Why are you guys so crazy? Christians don't do this. Jews don't do this. I have two things to say to that. One thing I have to say to that is, recently you guys know that one of the, the, the princess, a member of the royal family in England, her indecent pictures were exposed, and then they were put... All over the place. And then after that, they were put all over the place. There are lawsuits going on now. And almost the entire media is against those who posted the pictures. The French should not have done it. It was indecent. They shouldn't have done it, right? And everybody's on the side of the royal family. Across the media. And right after that, they have a section on this video and all of that. And they talk about freedom of expression. Wait, wait, wait. Freedom of expression? Just the last clip, you said that French media outlet does not have the freedom of expression. It's indecent, it hurts the royal family. The British people are being insulted. It's not good of you guys to expose the, the royal family in this way. It's not, and I'm, I'm not a proponent of putting the pictures up. But I'm saying you just said that it's not a good thing. It's indecent. But when it comes to something that hurts a fifth of the world's population, not a royal family, not an island on this planet, a fifth of the world's population, you find something offensive and you say, well, what about freedom of speech? Why do you Muslims don't understand the freedom of speech? I don't think you guys understand the freedom of speech either, guys. Because <laughs> you were just drawing a line between what's decent and indecent, why don't you, and, and that line is drawn by the family that's serving the lawsuit. Well, here we are, we're offended, you know. There should be something, there should be, I'm saying there is reason for outrage, we shouldn't just sit on our, you know, on our chairs and say, oh, you know, what can we do? That's not what I'm advocating either, we have a right to be offended, absolutely, but it should be channeled in an educated way, that's one thing I have to say. The second I have to say is, when they say, why are you Muslims so crazy? People make fun of Jesus all the time, Christians don't go crazy. Moses, they make cartoons of Moses all the time you know the, 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 the Christian the, 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 the channel it's really cool actually the channel that ca- claims to be like true to American values and Christian is Fox right like, like, they propose this is a Christian country and we should have you know, you know Christmas for a holiday but we shouldn't have Eid and they'll have shows on this and then in the entertainment they'll play you know cartoons like Family Guy and like American Dad and these shows what do they do they make fun of Jesus more than any other they make fun of God. They depict God in these shows. They depict Musa Alayhi salam, Ibrahim Alayhi salam. They make cartoons of him. My first question is to the Muslims. Why aren't we offended when Jesus is made fun of? Why aren't we angry when Ibrahim Alayhi salam is made fun of? Why aren't we angry when Musa Alayhi Salaam? These are not our prophets? These are not prophets we love, Alayhi Salaam. We are really angry when the Prophet is made fun of, salam, but he's not the only one. Allah didn't just honor our Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, He honored all of them. So why this like double standard? Like we love them but not that much. Not so much to get angry. But we love our Prophet really a lot. Because you know, that's, that's out of the question. <laughs> you know. We, so we're selective ourselves. And the second thing is when you're asked, why are you Muslims this crazy? And I'm asking myself. I'm not even waiting to answer non-Muslim. I don't care about answering the non-Muslims right now. We have to have a conversation among ourselves. My answer to this question, Allah Ta'ala is because we are overwhelmingly an uneducated ummah. Overwhelmingly, we are an uneducated umna. And I'm not talking about college education and high school, which is a problem in and of itself. We are uneducated in the fundamentals of our deen. We don't know what it means to behave as a Muslim, how to respond. These are not complex ilmi issues. These are the basics of Islamic ethics and morality and behavior that we're not educated in. We don't know how to respond to this stuff. We don't. And that's why we're just put this, pull this way and that way and the other way. It's insane and it's, it's really a mob it's a mob and you know how crazy our ignorance has gotten the, 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 I know I should stop about this really. <laughs> it's supposed to be a dars but you know how crazy it's gotten I can't help myself it's gotten so crazy that the, the ummah has turned into these mobs where the ulama that are sane that have wisdom that have something to offer can't even open their mouth because if they do the mob will kill them they're ready to pray behind the imam, they're ready to listen to the the fatwa of the imam when it comes to which day should we celebrate Eid, or you know, know, how should we make our taraweeh, etc., etc., they'll listen to him. But if he says, guys, calm down, this is not the way. They'll say, he's a sellout, the Americans are paying blah, blah, blah. (laughs) They'll go after him, he can't even open his mouth. So actually our imams and our scholars are being silenced by this mob, the ignorance is winning. The ignorance is hijacking the people of knowledge. They can't even speak, and if they do, they have to go into hiding. Because there's a, you know, some group says these guys are, you know, insanity. This is insanity. This has to stop. And these are the ayat. We just think of them. Ya ayuhan amanu amanut khuluufi silmi ka'fa Enter into the fold of Islam entirely and completely. The rhetorical explanation of these ayat is we have to establish the khilafa of Umar bin Al Khattab taala anhu. Yeah, but let's talk about establishing Deen in your living room first, buddy. Let's establish a little bit of a Deen in, in, you know, in your work life, in your communal life, you know, in whatever. Some shred of Islam needs to be there in our in our communities before we can talk about the governance of Islam, you know. And the other thing I tell you, in this within utholu really like it's it's things Muslims should be thinking about, you know, Hindus. In India, there's conflict sometimes between Hindus and Muslims. And sometimes it gets very, very violent. And we know that history, right? And there's mistakes on both sides, but whatever. It, this conflict happens. You know what the Hindus do to really offend the Muslims? You know what they do? They take a pig, they slaughter it, they throw it in front of a masjid. That's what they do. And the Muslims say, Astaghfirullah, this is, this is what they've done. They, we should kill all these Hindus, you know, pig in front of the masjid. Do Muslims hate pigs? Did Allah say you have to hate pigs? Is that a fundamental of our religion? That you hate pigs? You know, your kids are watching Charlotte's Web and you're like I is a pig cartoon on the TV. Change the channel. What is wrong with you? We can't eat them. They're filthy animals. We should stay away from them. Fine. It's not a fundamental teaching of our religion. But you know what? Because we have made that a big deal, even people who hate us say, well, we don't know much about Muslims, but we do know they hate pigs. That's all they know about you. That's a pretty good big statement about what you and I have been able to display about Islam. <laughs> you know, the first thing they should know about us is not that we hate pigs, is that we hate injustice. We hate shirk. You know, we hate lying, we hate cheating, we hate stealing. Where did that go? They don't know that about us. All they know is we hate pigs. That's all they know. Isn't that a sad state of affairs? This is this is this is something we, you and I have to really think rethink. How are we educating our Ummah? How are we educating our Ummah? What does it mean to enter into the fold of Islam? And I'm not saying that it's okay to throw pigs in front of the masjid. Please. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we have to grow up. The Ummah has to grow up. The children Urdu uh, uh, the kid that gets teased a lot Like, eh, stop it, stop it Guess what the bully does to him more He bugs him more These guys make a stupid film And we go crazy We just go nuts what are, we, what are we doing? We're encouraging them to make another one Hey, let's see what happens next What else could they do? It was the cartoon Then it was South Park Then it was this and it, every, few, every few months Every year Something, you can't just, yeah, you know, and then we go crazy again, and we go crazy again, and we go crazy again. It's like, it's become a, a thing. It's become a sport. And you know what? We're fueling it, not them. They're not the ones fueling it. We are. We're the ones giving it flame. We're the ones giving it attention. Nobody else. Nobody else. Just, you know, uh, Salman Rushdie, for example, is the old school, right? of the, the original, killed this guy because he wrote against the Prophet them. Salman Rushdie's career was built on the hatred of Muslims. The guy made millions because of Muslims. He was a second, he, he still is a second rate writer. He has no good publications, but the only reason he gained his notoriety is because Muslims hate him. We made his life, we gave him his career. <laughs> That's what we did. How easily we're toyed with. I was talking to one of my asatida he, he told me, you know, what it feels like. It's like they're playing, you know, in Spain they have bullfighting. That's what the Muslims The Muslims are the bull, they just waved the little red flag, we were ready to go. That's what we've turned into. Just reactionary. Don't even have to think. But I love Islam, bro. And then people come and say, Well what do you want us to do? Nothing? We've got to do something. You, sir, do Nothing the guy who says, we got to do something, you need to calm down. You don't know what you're doing. When you're, when you're thinking like this, you're, you've already got a problem. Our deen is one that does not allow us to judge matters by emotion. It does not. Our deen is one that teaches us to calm down, put our emotions in check, and judge matters for what they are, and then take a course of action based on ilm, on basira. We are not a, an impulsive people. And if you are trying to fire people, especially young people up, just fire up their, we gotta do something. I don't know what it is, but the least we can do is yell and scream. That's the least we can do. What good will it produce? Please tell me. I don't know, but at least we did something. We spoke against the truth. Spoke to who? Yourselves? Spoke to who? Who did you speak the truth to? The street, you just yeah, like you, they took down some Kentucky Fried Chicken and a McDonald's, right? Probably owned by a Muslim, most likely. He said, "Ah, hey, this might be a good business idea in the Muslim world. Let's, let me set up shop." Like this is food of the kuffar, destroy it. Seriously, this is this is this is what we've come to. We have to wake up. We as a people have to wake up. What is udhuluf udkhulu I mean? My contention, Allahu Ta'ala my contention is until we engage in a comprehensive education of the Qur'an, a comprehensive education of the seed of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi a comprehensive one, across the board to the Ummah, our attitudes will not mature. We will not change. Because the thing that fixes our mentality is our deen. The way to think about things, it comes from our deen. We're not studying our deen in the right way. We're not. And that's what's producing this, this, this craziness. And the Imam, may Allah Azza help us uh, all lift out of this, this strange state that we find ourselves in. Anyhow, Allah Azza wa Jal says, silmika I'll take five more minutes. <laughs> don't, follow the, don't end up following the footsteps of shaitan. On the one hand, we are commanded, enter into the fold of Islam, enter into the fold of safety and peace, and stop resisting against Allah entirely. Give, your, give yourself up. Okay. But then he says, don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. These two things are in connection with each other. And what they imply is, the shaitan is not going to come to you and say, leave Islam. He's just going to come to you and say, give me a little peace. Just give me something. Okay, you do so many good things. This one little haram thing is not going to make you kafir. You could just do this much. It's okay. So he'll say, "Mm, okay, well yeah, you know, I mean, I'm going to hajj this year. So I could... I could rack him up a little before I go. Ramadan is in a couple of weeks. It's okay. I mean, I mean, Batman came out the first night. I'll just watch it, and then after that, twenty-nine more days of good deeds. It's okay. You know, I could do that. It's okay. It's no big deal. So you're gonna, you know, what Shaitan wants is just give me a little. Don't give me everything. So he says, "ut fi silm." It's like Shaitan says, "yeah, yeah, yeah," ut fi silm. Just not what? Just not kafatan. Just not entirely. You know, don't be so extreme. Every, your finances should be dictated by Islam too. You know. Your investments should be dictated by Islam too. The loans you're taking should be dictated by Islam too. Mostly Islam is challenged not in worship. I mean, that's lazy people. They don't pray, right? But the real problem we have with our deen is when it comes to money. That's what, when the real problem of our deen is. And when it comes to dealing with family. Especially when those two things come together. Family and money matters joined together. Oh, we are awesome. When it comes to giving inheritance, when it comes to giving mahar, when it comes to assigning the mahar, oh my God, we're the best. You know? This is, udhuluf Silvi silbi Let's deal with that first. Wala tattabi'u Innahu lakum mubin. He's absolutely, clearly an enemy to you. In other words, this call to compromise, to, to water down the, the, the principles of our faith. And to take religion seriously in some things and make a mockery of it and not even bring it up in other things. How many families I know personally that I know and that are even extensions of my own family? Salat is a big deal. Salat is a big deal. But separation between men and women? Out of the question. Hijab? Out of the question. Don't bring it, don't, don't even talk about it. No, 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 we're not those kind of Muslims. No, but it's in the. I don't even say like fatwa. Can you just read the Quran? No, 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 no. We're making the. We're making. We're doing namaz. That's good enough. I don't even say salat. they say namaz, right? Doing namaz is good enough. Don't bring up more. We have a chunk of Islam we're happy with. We don't need anything else more than that. Don't don't bring anything more than that. I knew families, and I'm not even bashing on people living in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Egypt, or whatever. Let's talk about ourselves. You know, there are so many families, they send their children to Sunday school. May Allah reward you, continue to send your children to Sunday school. Okay? But I remember this one cool story. This kid used to come to Sunday school, and we had one of these really zealous young brothers that was a Sunday school teacher, and he gave a whole 40-minute halaqa on the merits, the, 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 the benefits of praying Fajr on time to these 12-year-old kids. This kid listens to this 40 minute thing And by a miracle of Allah He paid attention for 40 minutes Which is not possible for most 12 year olds nowadays He paid attention Next morning guess what he does Monday morning Prays Fajr on time The next week the parents come raging through the masjid How dare you corrupt my child He has to go to school in the morning You're waking him up early in the Fajr Fajr time And he thinks he has to do it now that's not why we bring him here. Just teach him how to read some du'as and that's all we want from you people. Awesome. Sorry, yeah, sorry. We thought we we're here to teach deen. We should, should back off. You know? Subhanallah. You know? This, this is the state we are in. No, no, no. Don't don't teach my child religion. But to a point where we're comfortable. After beyond our comfort zone, we're interested in الدخول في السلم just not kafatan. And when that is the norm for the Muslim, then is it not, you know, اتباع خطوة الشيطان. If that's the case with most of us, we have a certain line we've drawn, then is it not the case that we are following the footsteps of Shaytan? Have we not become or, or befriended what is clearly our enemy? May Allah Azza help us and our families and our extended families become people who are motivated to enter into Islam completely. And to make Islam dominate every aspect of our lives, be it domestic, be it career related, be it finance related. May Allah instill in us a mature mentality and a mature understanding of our deen. And may Allah help lift the ignorance that the Ummah suffers from and the spiritual ailments that the Ummah suffers from. And may Allah make us the generation that helps raise it out of that ignorance and including ourselves. Barakallahu li wa lakum.
1: Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. فإن then if you even if you are to slip all of you
0: Muslims even after the clearest proofs have come to you in particular، then you had better know أن الله عزيز حكيم that Allah is the ultimate authority and Allah is an ultimate authority and Allah is all wise. these are this expression فإن زللتم من بعد ما جاءتكم you know أزلل Azallah was used when shaitan made Adam salam slip And our, both our parents slip فَأَزَلَّهُمَا الشَّيْطَانُ عَنْهَا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ أُمْ الْبَيِّنَاتِ Is used for the people of the book Who did not believe even after the clearest proofs came to them Allah is using the same exact phrase now to talk to Muslims and say I have asked you, I have demanded from you That you give yourselves up entirely And even after the clearest proofs have come That you need to be this way You need to give yourselves up even then, if you slip, slip from this attitude, this instruction, this intention, then you had better know that I have all, my, all the authority. In other words, my authority will be exacted against you. And the fact that I'm not punishing you now is not because I can't, it's because there's some wise plan in place. I'll get you when the time is right. Allah Azza wa Jal will tell us later on in Surah Al Shura, in Surah number 42, He's going to tell us about His plan. He says, "ولولا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّنْ بَيْنَهُمْ Had it not been a time that we had declared, very particular time in his wisdom, he declared a particular time when punishments will be executed, their matter would have been decided immediately, had it not been for that appointment. So he says, حَكِيمُ here, هَلْ يَنظُرُونَا Are they waiting? Are they procrastinating? Are they waiting to see?
1: You know, this is the attitude of the hypocrite. It's called Tarabbus. Tarabbus is to procrastinate. I got time, I got time, I got time. هَلْ ينظرون? Are they waiting? Are they procrastinating? Are they waiting to see?
0: You know, this is the attitude of the hypocrite. It's called at-tarabbus Tarabbus. is to procrastinate. I got time, I got time, I got time. Somebody says, you know, Allah is right, I should give up the haram, I should only pursue the halal, I should do what is right, I should leave what is wrong. I need to make some serious changes in my life so I can show to Allah that I'm a true, sincere, submissive believer. But, I gotta do some stuff right now. I'm in the middle of something right now, when I'm done, inshallah, I'll be a better Muslim. I just gotta, you know, I'm about to get married... And you know, both, both, both sides of the family want this to be a really big party with all kinds of interesting haram things. I just need to get through this. After that, I'll be a good Muslim. After that. Right now, I just need to make like a little extra istighfar and enjoy the party. You know? And then after you get married, there's something else that comes up. You say, I'll do this later. You know, I'll take care of business. I'll just, I'll be a better person. Just let me get my promotion. And then, when I'm more secure in my job, then I won't compromise salat anymore. Like you just keep putting stuff off So Allah asks a very serious question هَلْ يَنظُرُونَ Are they going to wait around? Illa Allāh, Because in that sense that tomorrow never comes That eventually I'll be different Never comes هَلْ يَنظُرُونَ Illa Until Allah comes at them From the, the, the shades al الغمام From the clouds Until Allah himself descends Ata ياتي يَأْتِي Doesn't just mean to come Atayati in Arabic also means to attack. Until Allah Himself attacks them. Allah Himself comes at them from the shades of the clouds. Wal malaikatu, And the angels descend. al amr, Or the angels even attack. And the matter will then have been decided. And to Allah all decisions, all matters are being returned for processing anyway. In other words, on that day, these decisions will be given a verdict. These decisions that you and, me, uh, you and I make, Allah will pass His decisions on our decisions. But for now, every one of the decisions you and I make in public or in private are being taken back to Allah. And they're being
1: kept record of. So what are you waiting for? Get your act together now. Sell Israel. Ask the sons of Israel. Allah is saying that rhetorical, rhetorically. In this surah, as he informed
0: us thoroughly about the sons of Israel and how they procrastinated, they didn't get their act together. How many did we give them? How many great numbers of clear miraculous signs we, of all things, we had given to them. And whoever was to replace, whoever would be one to replace the favor of Allah, the blessing of Allah, مِنْ بعد ما جاءته even after it came to him. What is that blessing of Allah? Revelation. Whoever replaces the revelation of Allah and finds some other priority in their life. That's what this ayah is saying. Replacement isn't that you believe something else. You just prioritize something else. Something else has more immediate concern for you. Revelation and its demands can wait. It could, it's not your top priority right now. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ
1: شَدِيدُ Then certainly Allah is severe in taking revenge in, in uh, retribution